Tickets to AEW and Wembley Stadium as they have viewers of their television program in the United States and the company that doesn't need to sell any tickets did another pay-per-view that I couldn't buy anyway. It's the Jim Cornette experience in the bizarro world, ladies and gentlemen, and joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, me think him do podcast good or not. The great Brian Last, everybody. Bizarro. Well, hello, Jim. <laughs> a, aloha, I should say. A pleasure to be here once again for another time-lapsed edition of the experience. We start here. We don't know what day we'll end up on, but we start here, I guess. Well, some things have happened, and then other things have not. Basically, we're recording uh, the bruntishness or the brutishness of this program before backlash happens on a on the, the night of the Kentucky Derby. So they're going to have six people in Louisville watching. And I won't be one of them because I'm going to watch it in the morning. Well, it's the night but, of the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby's in the afternoon. It's, well, that's, no, they have more than one race. 200,000 fucking people don't show up to watch a one two-minute horse race. The Derby, the actual what? Derby itself, at post times probably going to be about 7 o'clock. How many people watch the undercard? They're there all day. They're fucking there before the goddamn horses wake up, these people, in their derby bonnets and bright blue and red and pink suits with bow ties. It looks like Seth Rollins' fashion designer dressed 150,000 people, seriously. Yeah, you should see what goes on at Belmont. I've been to that a few times. They they said on the news, I believe this morning, they go through 60,000 pounds of ice and a thousand pounds of fresh mint to crush into the mint juleps alone. And uh, everybody's fucking snookered, just drunkard and cooter brown, probably by mid-afternoon. So, and the people in the infield, I don't know what it's like after COVID or after 9-11 or after mass shootings or whatever, but... It, 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 traditionally, in the infield, is the majority of the people. It's, it's you can get more people in the infield to sit there or stand there, and sometimes in the mud, than you can actually in the grandstand, and that's tens of thousands. Um, you can't see a fucking horse. They just go to have the experience, or the experience of sitting in a muddy field, elbow to asshole, with a hundred thousand other fucking people, and hear a horse race called over the fucking PA system. You've never gone? I've never. Most people that live in Louisville, I don't think, ever actually go to the Derby. I think it's all people from out of town and or the people that actually have a fucking seat. Because they will these the, these reserved seats and the boxes and everything to family members down. Th you can't just 
They don't just put them on general sale every oh, year course. and you get right in. But uh, no, the people are making the biggest money off the Derby locally. Are the hat thieves. No, they're the people that live around Churchill Downs. It's a residential neighborhood all around this. They have to close streets for this thing and uh, police and redirect traffic. There's people that live in houses that might be worth, I don't want to denigrate some of the citizens of my community, but you might be able to buy one of these houses for 50 grand, as is, maybe less, but they make fucking thousands of dollars in parking people in their fucking front yard or side yard. As long as they stay inside the sidewalk, the police can't do anything about it. And they're out there starting at 6 o'clock in the morning waving people, they park here on top of... My puppy dog's grave, old old cuddles. He's buried right here next to fucking Aunt Bertha's irises. Park right over there. $100. If you lived there, do you think you would open up first thing in the morning, or would you let everyone else open up, open up later in the day so now you can raise the prices because there's no prime spot like yours that late in the day? Oh, yeah. there there are Those prices are already primed the first thing in the morning to begin with. I think if, if, you, if you waited, chances are everybody's given up by then. Now, the early bird catches the fucking $100 bill. Have you ever been invited? To do what? To go to the Park Derby. Park in somebody's yard? To go to the, I know you've done that. To go to the Kentucky Derby? No, not particularly, no. No one ever said, Jim, you know, I think you should come see this. You are a Louisville institution. No, if they knew me well enough to talk to me, to ask me to do something, they'd not ask me to go in the middle of 200,000 people. What do you think of the hats, all the hats? Um, it's like putting a hat on a hat. Some of these fucking, actually, if that's where I used to get uh, a good amount of my colored wardrobe, uh, all the wild suits, the pink pants and the fucking colored jackets and everything is I would try to come home right before Derby. Uh, every year because they had all this shit and not it and it wasn't like the discount shit off off times of the year i had to go to the discount places to find stuff that loud and offensive but that derby they had every color on the rainbow on the racks i'd i'd load up and then i'd be good for another year anyway bizarro yes i'm okay and here's i've already had a bizarre interaction today i should know not to leave the house go out in public but nevertheless i'll have you know that i recently passed a a momentous milestone in my personal life i've done something just recently for the first time in 45 years would you like to know what that thing is i presume so <laughs> you never you know i'm afraid where this could lead but yes i'd like to hear about this okay you know i'm an obsessive record keeper and even though now I don't travel for business anymore, I still keep the record of the mileage on Black Beauty and uh, things and such of that nature, right? We've talked about this a number of times. I record when the heating and air goes on and off every year and all that stuff. Well, I'll have you know that my last six months mileage average, that means the average amount of miles that I have driven in the last six months. And now bear in mind, I don't drive Stacy's car. I've just, I have not driven, I can't remember driving another vehicle since I've had Black Beauty. Uh, that's 2007. So 16 years, right? So I don't drive anything else. 
the, over the last six months, my average 41 miles per month, 41 miles, I almost got it down to 39. And I'm thinking of two less trips to the post office over here and I would have done it. But nevertheless, that is since I got my driver's license. That is the least amount of time that I've been in a car in 45 years. And I am tickled shitless, or as Mama Cornette used to say, shickled titless about that thing. Did Mama Cornette really say that? Every, every once in a while she would, yes. Uh, but nevertheless, that's a milestone for me. And remember, I said I was going to four years ago. I said, well, I'm almost to 300,000 miles on this vehicle. I'm going to get a brand new one, and that'll be the last one I ever have to buy. And I've only put 1,500 miles on the car in the last four years or whatever, so I'm still not at 300,000 miles. But Stacy got a new car. You remember we talked about that here yeah, last year. That was a while ago, yeah. <clears throat> well, it wasn't a while ago. Well, a while. It was a while, I guess, if you're a young person like you. But for me, you know, time expands when you get older. It's like, ah, 20 years, I got socks that old. But it was last year she got a new car. And, of course, they make these new cars so smart and intelligent and computer-oriented and technologically advanced that they have to recall something almost all the time. I never had a recall on Black Beauty. Here it is sitting there, a bucket of bolts right now, but I got 300,000 miles out of it. But they sent a recall on this, I don't know, the fucking Framistat, whatever. It's not my department. So we call the dealership and we say, hey, we're supposed to do this recall. Oh, yes, we'll schedule you an appointment three weeks from now. That's the next one you got to. Yeah, that's the next one. Okay. So three weeks ago, we schedule an appointment. And then yesterday, we take the car over there. Now, it, it, number one, nobody's told us how long this procedure is going to take. They gave us a, an appointment time, right? Whatever. Nobody's told us how long it's going to take. We need to get the oil changed also. We're just going to take it over first thing in the morning, leave it there, and come back and pick it up the next day. They can do whatever they want, right? Sounds like a good plan. Because they know we're coming for three weeks now. So we take car at first thing in the morning because we got to come back because there's people coming to install a countertop and blah, blah, blah. So we go over there first thing in the morning. And because it's the place where we got it from, which we don't have to go very often, it's about 25, it's a, not 25 miles, but it's a 25-minute drive because it's out in the middle of Hee Haw Junction in Crestwood, wherever. And you got to go across the railroad tracks. So we take it over there. Drop it off. Oh, you're here for the recall. Yes. You've known we were coming for three weeks. Oh, yes. And they said, we want, we want the oil change. Do the recall thing. Just let us know if there's any issues. We'll be back in the morning. And they gladly take it. And then Stace gets back in the car. I've got Black Beauty. And we're coming home. And we get caught on the other side of the fucking train tracks from the train. And have to take about a five-mile detour to get around the daggum train so we can continue on, blah, blah, blah. So there's an hour round trip to drop this car off. So right there is more time I've been in the car in the last month. So they then call 
mid-afternoon, say your car's ready. Oh, well, great. We'll be in the morning to pick it up, but everything's... Well, we have to... We did the oil change, but we have to order the part for the recall. Wait a minute. Huh? You, we scheduled... It was your idea. Your, your parent company, old Jeep, sent this thing to us. We scheduled it three weeks ahead of time. And now you got to order the part to do for the only thing that we came really to get you to do. So this morning, go back over there. I go in. I said, I want to register, register my displeasure, not pounding on the desk, not yelling. Use those words, those exact words. Yes. I said, I'd like to register my displeasure. <laughs> I said, why do we come over here? And I explained it. I said, because the guy said, well, first I walked in the service department and there's cars up on the rack and there's shit everywhere and there's the desk and there, all the office doors are open. There is not a living, breathing motherfucker in this place, anywhere, in, this, in these rooms. And I'm just wandering around, wandered around, looked at the grease gimmick and I'm, you know, hello. There, you could have wandered in and, and if the, well, the cars, I guess, were up on racks. It would have taken you a minute to get it off. But you could have walked off with anything sitting in there for about two or three minutes. And then this guy wanders around the corner. I said, yeah, I told him why I was here to pick up. And I said, I want to register my displeasure over this. I said, I've now, I've driven 90 minutes in the last two days. I got 30 more to go to bring this over here for an oil change. We made an appointment three weeks ago for the recall that your folks' parent company uh, told, sent us a notice and told us we needed to have, and that's what we told you we were, and now you got to order a part. And I swear to God, not only when he starts trying to respond, not only was he a low talker, and they had one of their air hissing machines, you know there's always got to be some air blowing. I think they're blowing up clown balloons in the corner of these places. Have you noticed you walk into a fucking car place, even if it's empty, there's always air hissing? I hadn't so, noticed that, no. Well, next time you go in, you're going to hear from somewhere. So anyway, not only is he a low talker, but also he's talking like he's trying to hold a marble in his fucking teeth. And I'm trying to, I'm, I can't read lips because the lips ain't moving. It sounds like fucking Peanuts parents coming out. And I said, look, the point is, I'm just saying, why, well, because, you know, we have to see if we have to replace. I said, what? You have to see if you have to replace the Framistat first. What about having an extra Framistat around if there's the risk of it? Since now I've got two hours invested in driving around this town to come pick this thing up for an oil change, I could have got two minutes away. I said, nevertheless, he said, well, we've ordered to part. I said, well, we're kind of pissed, and I don't think we want to do another two hours to car to come all the way over here. I said, we came here because we bought the thing here, paid cash, by the way. And that's when he said, well, sure, it doesn't matter how you paid for it. I said, I know. I'm just informing you of the fact that you just had a person who paid cash for one of your cars that ain't never going to buy another car here again. So anyway, are we even for the oil change? And I start to leave. He said, well, we've ordered the part. If you take it anywhere else, 
they won't be able to order the part because your number is on this part. Like he's going to hold us hostage to come back over. So that's when I said, let me explain something to you. <laughs> you mush mouth moron. <laughs> I said, it's a goddamn sensor. It's telling us that something's going on that ain't going on to begin with. So all it needs is to have a light turned off. We could probably get somebody else to do that. But if we can't, not and you're trying to hold this part hostage, then not only are a million people a week very soon going to hear what fucking idiots you people are, but you're also going to be on the phone with a guy named New, first name Steven, middle name P, that is going to pee all the fuck over you. <laughs> we will take our trade elsewhere, and you will allow it to happen if you and your parent company manufactured a defective piece of merchandise that you've sold to us, and you're now going to hold us hostage as to where to go to get it fixed. Fuck you. And I did say good day and left there. But anyway. Is that the way it works? And if an auto, I guess it has to I be a part of a system. What, that's what order Marble Mouth McGee is fucking telling me. I don't know. Have you thought about calling Sergeant McCoy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got me there. <laughs> Sergeant McCoy would straighten these motherfuckers. He'd put them on notice right away. In two seconds. It takes two seconds. <sighs> but anyway, I, I real quickly, I want to recognize somebody. And I told you this off air, but it was uh, earlier. You might have forgotten. But we were talking a few weeks ago here on the program about the, uh, well, may, now several weeks, I guess, about the regret that I still felt to this day, because when I was 18 years old at Valentine's Day, the, the single, the Bobby Caldwell single, What You Won't Do For Love, was issued on heart-shaped red vinyl as a special Valentine's Day edition, and I didn't purchase it because... There was a new issue of Archie Comics you just had to have. No, no. It Remember, it was... I can't remember now whether the retail price then was like $8 or even $10, but it was as much or a dollar more as the average album, much less single back in those days when the singles were going for $0.99 cents to $1.99, depending on whether it was a current hit or back catalog. And myself at 17, 18, being the fiscally conservative young man that I was, could not justify even though that red vinyl was so cool, could not justify that price at that point in time for something of that nature. And it haunted me ever since. And then Bobby Caldwell died. And I got nostalgic. I waxed nostalgic about the vinyl that I had, had forsaken because I was a cheapskate as a teenager. And we talked about that. And a fella named Anthony DeFrancisco, out of the blue. Sounds fake. It, it is not. Well, it's printed right there on the, I won't tell you anymore because now I've given him given his full name. I don't want people to be able to look him up by his hometown and persecute him or anything. But he sent me a box. I opened the post office box the other day, and there is a record shipping box with the heart-shaped vinyl, red vinyl single, in the original sleeve. And he, he sent it, he said, 
as entertaining as our show is, as much enjoyment as we've given him, even though he'd never heard of Bobby Caldwell, and he's never heard the song What You Won't Do For Love, a red vinyl heart-shaped record sounds like a cool thing to have. So he said, here, and, and, and he sent it to you too, Brian, in, in spirit. But I got Yeah, that. what does that mean he sent it to me too? I'm not receiving anything. Well, you've gotten the the you've gotten the good feeling to know that I got something that I've wanted for a long time. And I'll leave it to you in my will. What you would do for love? That's that's exactly right. I would do that. Okay. <laughs> and actually Thank you, you know, Anthony De what was it? De Francisco. De Francisco. Cucamonga. Hey, come on. Do you think that that Bobby Caldwell inspired Meatloaf? What you won't do for love became I would do anything for love, but I won't do that? Well, Meatloaf didn't write it. That was Jim Steinman. Well, but Meat meat and Stein were together like fucking meat and cheese. Well, Meat brought the loaf, but Steinman brought the lyrics. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd rather have my Meatloaf than my Stein, man. When were you first exposed to Bad Out of Hell? That was such a big record. Did you like it? Um, what do you mean? When was I first exposed to it? When they started playing it on the fucking radio? But I mean, do you I remember here? Like it was 16, such... 17 years old. My point is, it was such a different sound because it was so theatrical compared to so many of the other modern rock songs of that era. I would think it would stood. It would have. I can't even talk. I would <laughs> have thought it would have stood out. Now you got me mad. Well, it did. About it love. did. It did stand out, but. But the promotional video that they made to accompany it, the 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 nipples of who what was it? Who was that? Oh my gosh! Who was the girl in the video? Oh. The nipples of her stood out even more than the song. She married what's his name? She married Robbie Benson. I forget her name though. She married him. She married Robbie Benson. Jesus Christ! What did he have a fucking eighteen-inch schwanstika? Well, for like two years, he was like the hot teen star, and then he oh, disappeared to have fun with that. Yeah, well, anyway, nevertheless, where was we, where were we? Obviously, a bad place know. is where we were going with that. But no, the out of hell. between having the uh, break with the baseball announcing from, uh, what's his face? Phil Rizzuto, Hall Phil of Rizzuto, Famer. Phil Rizzuto, yeah. yeah. And the the whole uh, crescendo of music and everything, that was a big hit on album rock radio at least at that point from the time that they released it as i remember did you like it i loved it it was perfect it was perfect to go to the showcase cinemas on a weeknight when there was nobody there and they had a fucking 27 acre porn parking theater? lot huh was that the porn theater no, that was the nicest thing. You're going to alone in the big parking lot? What are you talking about? No, no, no. I'm talking about going and parking and listening to the fucking baseball announcer talking about people going and parking. Phil Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto. The scooter. I don't know what he rode around in. It's not up to me whether it could be a Segway, could be a moped, a hover round. Whatever the case. Anyway, I got that vinyl now. How did we get from that to meatloaf? Do you have a working record player? Of course. Do you use it? Not often. I don't have time, but it's it's there if I need to transcribe something from my extensive vinyl collection to cassette tape where it belongs. What was the last record you played? Oh my um What uh, the the uh, oh shit. Um 
the goddamn the pencil neck geek, the Freddie Blassie album that I got. Uh, probably, geez, that's been two years ago now. I'm ashamed to say that. That's the last record I played. But I got the Freddie Blassie album, and I wanted to hear a couple of things. And and, and no, and then I transcribed some of the. I transcribed. Transcribed. You're writing the lyrics down? Is no, that what you do? no, no. Well, really I, are it's, what I, it's what I was doing. That's why I'm was befuddled. Because for a column that I wrote, I'll have you know, I'm very literary. Uh, I was writing about the Memphis music and the uh, Handsome Jimmy and Lawler had had done records and Sputnik Monroe did a record and the, the radio play that various people got there and the Plowboy Frazier did a fucking record, for God's sake, on Barbarian, thanks to Jim Blake. Um, But anyway, I had... I've I've dubbed them over to cassette tape where I could play them back and, and actually write down a couple of the lyrics or make a couple of notes or whatever. It's what I was trying to say to you. Good God. You're argumentative today. I'm not argumentative. You're so fascinating. I'm in one of those moves. I'll have you know I've already called a son of a bitch a mushmouth moron today. And I approve. I think mushmouth and moron separately need to be used more often and you put them together, it creates a grand word. Got the alliteration. All right, uh, let's uh, talk about grand things that we're doing. The update on the cancer fundraiser at jimcornet.com, the breast cancer action figures. Well, the breast cancer pink action breast figures. We didn't make action figures. figure of breast cancer. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> How would it's you even do that? I don't even understand. Verbiage and context is everything, folks. The, the breast cancer pink. Action figures that we've been selling at jimcornet.com. We sold in the month of April. The sale started the 8th. In the month of April, 690 figures. Obviously, we're five or six days into May now. We've sold some more since then, but we're going into the month, month to month. To, it makes it easier to keep track of. And so we, last week, we, being Hotchkiss, Featherbottom, and myself, sent $6,900 to the American Cancer Society, and I'll have you know that Hotchkiss's invention, I've now, I've doubled my investment, because I see a world of potential in this. this. I told you about it last week, the screenshot. He's invented this procedure where somehow he, he clicks on some things, and all of a sudden he just captures an image of whatever's on your screen. He calls it a screenshot, and then he can... Put Society it calls it a screenshot. He invented Well, nothing. yeah, it's spreading like wildfire because people have started to hear about it, what he's done. And we we tweeted that out on, on my Twitter account, at the Jim Cornette, even though I don't have the blue check mark. And now you know if somebody's got a blue check mark, what a douchebag they are. Um, but what does anyway, that mean? So you, you have a problem with paying for it? Well, yeah, because well, the whole idea of, to me, of having the blue check mark was so that all these delusional fuckwits out there that pretend to be people that they're not because of their miserable existences and the fact that they're losers would then be weeded out by when you have someone that's verified they really are who they present themselves to be. But then when they started. Well, you can pay for it and get it. Well, then what the fuck? Well, then any grifter, con man, shyster, uh, fucking scam artist, card trickster, flim flam man, 
flim-flam man, a shenanigan, a carpetbagger. Anybody can, can, so then it doesn't mean anything anymore. But I tweeted it from my tweeter. And the screenshot, trademark, that Hotchkiss has come up with. And so I want to thank everybody. Okay. Huh? Not trademark, but go ahead. Yeah, no, you can't just take it back. I just said trademark. You can't just so declare something that you can't trademark as being trademark. Yes, I can, because I said trademark. No, but it's not so, yours to trademark. No, it's Hotchkiss's. Are it's you, not his to trademark. Why wouldn't it be his? He's the one who came up with it. He came up with nothing. I had never seen one before he showed it to me. He's the first one to show it to you. He's not the first one to invent it. Well... People or he's not the only one to invent it. What? But nevertheless, I'm just saying. Anyway, I want to thank everybody out there in the cult that has contributed to this project. I want to thank Stacy, who had the idea to begin with, based on her breast cancer license plate. She said, well, you look good in pink, and I do. I'm very, fairly dashing in pink. And a, a jacked-up Jeremy Bagley jumped in. Now, there are still some to go. We have... We started with the thousands. We have just under 300. I don't have an exact count right now, but you can still get in on this. And we're going to do another donation uh, first week of June for the month of May. And I would I would say on and on, but they ain't going to last that much longer. Uh, but Jeremy is going to go a dollar a piece when they're all gone. And John Fell is not only contributing a quarter of a piece, which quarter of a piece <laughs> he's contributing a quarter of a piece he's contributing <laughs> a quarter a piece and it may sound like he's being chintzy but there's a thousand of them so that's 250 bucks 125 to american cancer society and 125 to city of hope because john's a guy that wants to keep everybody happy very nice and several of the other cult members have said they're donating so when we end up selling all of these things with every, all the ancillary income, that's about 12 grand to cancer to begin. So anyway. And this has gone so well. Of course, the breast cancer action figure. Stay tuned for the breast cancer playset. You get Jim Cornette, a tennis racket, and a giant areola that he could fight. Would you stop it now, for heaven's sake? That is not, we can't make light of these horrible things. The next one, Jim Cornette gets a mammogram. We get, you know, hey, you got to keep, you got to keep an eye out for everything. So if you want to get, you got to get checked out. You never know what might happen. Preventative mm -hmm. care. I've had things up my yahoo and down my hoo-ha and <laughs> everywhere in between. I guess so. Uh, yeah. But anyway, right now at jimcornet.com, <laughs> in addition to the breast cancer toys uh, that... <laughs> We also have the Inside the Ropes magazines, the DVD of myself and Jim Ross in London for Inside the Ropes a few years ago, of our classic Cornette Face t-shirt, the Lazy Booking t-shirt, and more, jimcornette.com. And as I said, we're under 300 uh, breast cancer figures left. And, and also, if you still have an order outstanding, I'll have you know that we are on the under- the final 300 packages to clear the complete backlog and be up to date. And, and, uh, that should happen in the next 14 days. We, we figure. So thank you for your support. And thank you for making mockery of a, a fine, 
thing here. You're still laughing. I'm laughing at something else. Are we going to Reggie's Corner? What's next? Yes, because, we are. You yes, know what? We are. I'm watching a video from the coordination. We paused this. I don't know if it's a compilation or what. But first, there was a horse during the coronation of King Charles III. No, that was King Charles. No, it was a horse. Will you stop it? He's the it king It really now. was a horse. You could be beheaded for these kind of statements. The horse just backed into the crowd, got spooked, and like moonwalked into the crowd. <laughs> and then another one just bit a woman's ponytail as she walked by and yanked her <laughs> But anyway, I'm sorry to uh, lighten up the mood. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, when when I was over there in, in jolly old England, with uh, and Kenny McIntosh, I believe that day he was showing us around. He's pretty... always in the middle of the problems. You ever notice that? It, well, he's 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 a he's a problem carrier. He's like the typhoid Mary of problems. He doesn't suffer from them himself. He just p things happen to people around him. It may not be his fault. Maybe he kicked an old gypsy woman. Anyway, um, we went to um, we went to the place where they have the guards with the fur on their heads. Buckingham Palace? There you go. <laughs> and, you know, all that week, we because I'd been telling the story about the rib with Owen and Bulldog putting me on the phone with Stu, and I thought it was Bruce imitating Stu. And you can find that, kids, out there somewhere on YouTube. But anyway, um, so all week I'd been, oh, trying to make a Diana look like Sim Kenny Hoor. And so... They say they're not supposed to break character, the 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 guards with the the fur on their heads. And boy, they're the wrestlers should be as devoted as they are. But I kind of sided up next to one of them for a picture. I said, "Ah, oh, they're making Diana look like uh, Sim Kenahur to pop uh, the the boys that were carrying us around." And then I realized, well, he thinks I mean Princess Diana, not Diana. Oh my God, oh, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm surprised he probably didn't fucking bayonet me there. They really. All right. Hey, did anyway. you see? Hey, speaking of uh, Davy Boy and things that you've repeated that Davy Boy said, someone posted somewhere, and I can't give them credits. I don't remember who it was or where I saw it, but it was Kurt Hedig on commentary like in 1996, maybe, on Superstars. And he says, I wasn't even there. <laughs> was it a popular expression beyond you yes yes no that was the thing with dave i wasn't even there it, 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 everybody that was around him would do it to varying degrees of accent or whatever but no that was a common thing or if you said it everybody else in the locker room knew what you were talking about all right, this has been I, Reggie's I, Corner. I just, I, no, I just actually, I'm. if he said it, I bet Kurt was there. Knowing Kurt, he was probably there. <laughs> anyway, no, we do have some people to talk about in Reggie's Corner today, and I've tried to... Oh, come on! I'm trying to get some noises for you, some sounds. Get you in the mood. <sighs> Can't you at least... Ins what the fuck is... Sounds like a scary edition this week. I was about to say, th th instead of jungle noises and, and, and or the tweeting of birds on a farm, can't you have like meow, meow, ruff, ruff, you know, the the puppies and the kittens. We had meows last week and you didn't like that. It startled you. Well, it, uh, you just soft and pleasing to the ear and not something out of the Amazonian rainforest. All right.
There'll be improvements right. next week. Thank you very much. Anyway, I've gone through emails here lately, so I apologize. We've got several, but it's over a couple of weeks. These are ones I've found. If I don't have yours, I apologize also, maybe next round. But anyway, to Scott and his son, and this was a long email, and I can't read it without just losing it, but they lost their 14-year-old boxer, Princess, after some other health issues to a horrible accident. And I would, I, we just wanted to recognize Princess because I hate it. But again, 14 years old, and she was a fighter. Um... And Mark from Timmins, Ontario, lost his dog Chimo, who had just turned 16. And uh, Chimo, that's an interesting Chimo. name. Not Chimu, I, not Pampero Furpo's Chimu. Well, it, it was C-H-E-E-M-O-E. Hmm. Chimo. Chimo. Yes. But they're from Ontario. It could mean anything. Well, that explains it. People are uh, odd. <laughs> um <laughs> And Robert from Chicago and his girlfriend lost their dog short man to an illness uh, that came on really quick. And it was sudden. And we, again, hate to hear that. And then also I got to hold on here. I got to read some of this one. Um, Dear Jim and Brian, my name is Daniel and I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, recently, my brother Lewis lost his beloved dog, Dee Dee, who he had rescued as a puppy after finding her abandoned in a field. And uh, since that day, they were instantly best friends and one of the best things that ever happened to him. And she rode apparently with them to wrestling shows from Louisville to Knoxville and all the way to Pensacola. And she was also the host of every WrestleMania, SummerSlam, or Royal Rumble party they ever had. And boxing, UFC fights, Thanksgiving, and today's the Derby Day. And that, most importantly, this will be the first Derby in over 10 years that Didi won't be the host. So, Daniel, I know it won't be the, and Lewis, I know it won't be the same this year, but um, he, he closes saying, I know it's a long shot, but it would mean so much to my family if you'd mention her on Reggie's Corner. And so, again, sorry, guys, about Didi. And one more thing. All right, now. Where'd that come from? I don't know. I thought it was on your side. Oh. I never know what's not, going on in that yard of yours. That's not Harley. In, my, in, in the yard, that would be right here in the room with me. Uh, one more from Frankie in San Diego, where he says he is not jacking it. Um, and, and he's right. We are a little top heavy on our canine friends. He says, Hey, Jim and Brian, you often read eulogies for canine friends who have gone across the rainbow bridge as it is just past the one year anniversary of losing my best friend, Baron Wolfgang von Furberger, the most handsome tuxedo cat who ever walked this shitty earth. I hope you would do the same for my kitty Bobo as a nickname Bobo. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but do you have it around the neck? I, I'm not actually holding the cat. Oh, I thought you were making your cat purr, but it, it didn't sound very loud. It was like you were compressing its oxygen. Anyway. No cats at last matter. Back to Baron Wolfgang von Furberger. He was more than a pet. He was my greatest friend, a perfect companion who was with me from the beginning of my career as a pet groomer 
when some fool dumped him as a tiny kitten in a box outside the PetSmart where I was training. He was with me through divorce and eviction, tragedy and strife, and was oftentimes the only reason I didn't jump off a goddamn bridge. With him gone, it's only a self-loathing, masochistic streak that gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's in tribute to Baron Wolfgang von Furberger, little Bobo from Frankie in San Diego. And uh, again, the canine friends, as well as our little furry pussy friends, just not the ones from Cucamonga, uh, they, they can obviously uh, have space in Reggie's corner as well, for heaven's sake. Someone's calling you. Apparently they are. Possibly, is it Baron Wolfgang von Furberger from across the Rainbow Bridge? They stopped. It sounds like they hung up, maybe. Yes, they, they want to see there. <laughs> You're only allowed four ringy dingies when you are calling from beyond the grave. All right, anyway. This has been and Reggie's now, Corner. Yes, it has. Thank you for your high-tech fucking background sound effects over there, Brian, while I was trying to recognize some of our formerly animal cult members that have gone on to the great beyond. Form Would you like formerly animal? Formerly, well, animal, <laughs> formerly alive, now not. Would you like to talk about a guy whose career was formerly kind of alive, but now it's kind of not? That could be a lot of people. I got an email and this person shall read this person's name is Mark. And the way he wrote it, it's not like he's, he's calling himself a Mark, but his name is Mark. And I won't narrow it down any more than that because he could face retribution also. But he says, hi, Jim and Brian. My name is Mark. I'm a wrestling fan from Ireland. And I'm reaching out to you in regards to comments and attitude from Jungle Boy. <laughs> Can you find audio of a monkey taking a shit and throwing it at somebody? Hold on. Keep going. All right. Anyway, um, it was at the For the Love of Wrestling event here in Manchester, he says. And, and, and this was a big convention they just had over in, in Manchester, England, uh, where they had tons of current and former wrestling stars from a variety of companies and Hall of Famers and whole nine yards. And apparently, uh, Mark was there. He continues, Jungle Boy had very short cues. That's what they call lines over there. Very short lines in comparison to most legends and other current AEW stars in attendance. And following my own interaction with him and his comments during his Q&A with the fans on Saturday, I understand why. As part of the package I purchased, autographs and selfies with each star were included. I approached Jack Perry's table, scanned my ticket with the attendant working with him, confirmed with the hostess that the selfie and voice note I was looking to do with him were included. Okay, now for the, I guess that's the, the kids do recordings of uh, now on their phones, voice note, is that what that would be? Yeah, the kids have been doing that on their phones for about 20 years now. Yeah, like I said, the kids, you know, so that's what a voice note is. It's a, like, a, I guess, uh, when they used to say in the, in the 90s, ooh, I got my video camera. Can you know, can say hello to me? Anyway, she confirmed that they were included. 
I greeted Jack, thanked him for coming over, and asked would it be okay for a selfie and a quick voice note for the podcast I do with some Irish-based wrestling fans. Jack responded, yeah, I'll do the selfie, but not doing the voice note, with no further explanation. His aide interjected, oh, sorry, Jack, it's included in this gentleman's past. See, it's, I'm trying to do the, give you the whole. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to give you the whole experience here where you can feel like you're right there as I'm telling this story. And you know that the lady, the hostess, had an English accent because they're in Manchester. So she said. <laughs> That's not a Manchester accent. She says, oh, sorry, Jack. It's included in this gentleman's package. But he simply shrugged it off. He said, look at this gentleman's package. And he left. <laughs> After the selfie, I asked if he had many more independent bookings out this way in the future. He replied with a curt, nah, I'm not traveling here again soon. <laughs> and went back to his phone. Sir, they're in a I've I've been to some flea markets, like the flea market here, and one time in Nashville where it was a little it was a little sparse. And uh, you know, I had time to sit around and contemplate, you know, the various displays, but if he's at a wrestling convention and he's got time to sit there and fiddle with his phone. I actually got several emails about this. I didn't know you got any. Here's one from Ram in London. Oh, wait, are you interrupting my goddamn reading? Oh, keep going with yours. I thought you were done with yours. I no, was going to add no, on to there's it. there's all kinds of oh. shit to go here. This is the, I got the full report here, Brian. Oh. So anyway, I'll not be traveling here again soon and went back to his phone. His aide gave me an awkward, apologetic smile. She said, oh, I'm sorry. I thanked both of them for their time and left. My friend who was standing nearby remarked, Jesus, he'd ate himself if he could. Later in the day, he had an in-ring... This is the good part. See, you almost, you almost didn't let me get to the good part. Later in the day, he had an in-ring Q&A session with a large group of young fans in attendance. One young fan, no more than 12. I think it was Bobby Lou Who. Asked if he had one wrestling match to watch before he died, what would it be? Jack responded, if I'm about to die, I'm not watching wrestling. Watching wrestling would be the last thing I would do. Sounds so depressing to me. I think the question is probably not like, okay, you know you're going to die in an hour. You're on a desert island. What five albums do you take? I mean, everyone's yes, been asked this like, kind of thing. What, what match do you want to see before you die? Not... Okay, you've been given the lethal injection. I don't want to die. For killing fucking AEW's business. <laughs> and now you've got to pick one. You don't know. You might not want to watch wrestling then at all. But just so there's no deadline on the death is what we're saying. But anyway, then uh, where I now you made me lose my place. Later in the Q&A, he was asked by another young fan about who in AEW he would seek help from for producing his matches. He advised that he would only listen and take advice from people who have a similar style to himself and he can relate to. He noted that Luchasaurus is a big help in piecing his matches together, <laughs> which explains a lot, and also advised he would never listen to Billy Gunn a guy who loses his mind if he even sees one Canadian destroyer in a match. And he said so 
entirely seriously. So this again, who I got more? Is there more? Do you well, more? hold on? What there's there one bottom line here, but I just want to comment on that statement. Who will you listen to and take advice from? People that I like that do the same shit that I do. And it says a lot that he thinks that Dino Douche ought to be piecing anything together except a fucking roadmap to a goddamn wrestling school. And Billy Gunn has absolutely nothing to offer because he thinks it's ridiculous that you should do your own backflip and land on your own head multiple times in a match, especially if it's not to finish. This is where this fucking clown's head's at. So Mark made, and thank you, Mark, for this email, but he made the closing comment, and he said, in contrast, Adam Cole and FTR were thankful and engaging with the fans, going out of their way to make everybody welcome, blah, blah, blah. But for an event called for the love of wrestling, for Jungle Boy to be so dismissive of the idea of loving wrestling, and not being <laughs> gracious enough to engage and courteous to young fans in attendance and acting like an outright arrogant knob. Uh, so that would uh, go ahead if you've got more to contribute to this. We received several emails about this. I'll just touch on a couple of them. This one's from Ram in London. I came back from the for the Love of Wrestling convention in Manchester. Jack Perry, aka Jungle Boy came on the panel along with Anna Jay and Ruby Soho. A fan from the audience asked, what does it take to become a wrestler? Jungle Boy then replied, just don't do it. <laughs> I looked at my cousin and thought, what, what is he talking about, crack cocaine or pro wrestling? I looked at my cousin and thought, what a poor attitude this guy has. Do you agree that this is a poor mindset that most of the youngsters have these days is causing a problem with the new generation of wrestling that it sucks? Well, let, let me let me just make a comment that, yeah, me right now, I'd tell people don't fucking do this shit, but I've seen when you could actually do this shit and be successful at it without jumping through hoops, but for someone in, currently right now doing it to say, oh, no, you're a fucking idiot if you do this. Well, I, I, yeah, okay. Well, here's another email from Paul in Northern Ireland. This one's entitled, Jungle Boy is a Bellend. Ha! <laughs> Hi, Jim and Brian. This past weekend, I attended a fan fest in Manchester where there were some AEW stars in attendance. Sadly, no MJF, but I did get to meet FTR. There was a Q&A panel with Ruby Soho, Anna Jay, and Jungle Boy. Good which, God. Which confirmed to me that Jungle Boy is one of the most unlikable baby faces I have ever seen. He was asked, who inspired him to be a wrestler? And he said he saw a video of Marco's stunt on YouTube. No. He came across as half-assed. Wait, 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 wait. He was Did joking, he really obviously. Actually... No, he must have been joking. Just time timeline-wise, I don't think it's well, possible. I, I, but goddamn, you never know about these things. He came across as half-assed and uninterested, only answering some questions, and wasn't impressed when someone asked if he could see himself working with CM Punk. Ruby stole the show, getting asked the most questions from the crowd to the point where they had to ask if there were any questions for Anna and Jungle Boy. Ruby's heroes were Jazz and Awesome Kong. No surprise that Anna's were the Bellas. Oh, good Lord. Best thing about the day was meeting Demolition, which was the main reason I went, but FTR and the Powers of Pain were also very cool guys. 
Thank you, Paul, in Northern Ireland. And like so, I said, we got other emails. So big baby face Jungle Boy certainly made a big impact on the UK fans. Uh, well, apparently the lack of personality that he has on the television program is him acting out and being all energetic and full of piss and vinegar compared to the way he mopes around his real life and other commitments. I mean, and by the way, with all the problems in AEW, Tony Khan shouldn't be happy about the idea that this wrestler went out there and named one of the producers or one of the agents. I forget what Billy Gunn's exact title is beyond being on air talent and said, I don't listen to a guy like that who hates everything he sees. <laughs> well, I have a feeling it's not a surprise to Tony because I have, I've, I know Billy Gunn better than I know, uh, you know, Jungle Jim here, whatever his fucking name is. And I would imagine that Billy Gunn is the person who's told Tony, well, yeah, I tell these guys shit, but they don't listen to me. So what the fuck? But again, you hear constantly about this guy's attitude and it shows in his performance. He does the cool little combative Cirque du Soleil, aggressive parkour, uh, roughneck, you know, cheerleading. What are we calling it this week? And that's what he likes to do. And when there, he needs to do anything else, he can't and he doesn't want to. Uh, Jim, here's audio of a monkey throwing poop on a grandma. <laughs> he got your grandma. Right on the nose is a big piece of shit just hanging oh, off her nose. <laughs> Pardon me, ma'am. You've got shit on your nose. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, keep that. Because that can be our monkey poo flinging clip. <laughs> and every time more of these guys fling poo on each other, we get, wait a minute, breaking news. And ah, you got some on your face, Grandma. It's time to fling some monkey poo. Hey, with this Jungle Boy story, and I think it's a great idea for him to come out there and just start pooping on stage and throwing it into the crowd. It may get him really over <laughs> But the idea that you have a babyface, someone who's presented as a babyface, someone who's always been on TV as a babyface, and they're complete shitheels when they deal with fans. This isn't a unique story. It's not just Jungle Boy. It's all throughout history. There have been dickhead babyfaces. Usually the heels were the really nice guys when you got to know the wrestlers. But what do you do? I mean, do you make a change when it's this, when you can't even just, at a convention of wrestling fans, be happy at all? Well, again... Look where it was. It was in England. They're going to Wembley. He's not only doing it, he's not just doing it at the flea market in Fresno or whatever, but he's doing it at this high-profile convention where I saw pictures on Twitter from this thing where they had gotten a bus to transport the numerous talents, you know, wherever they were going. So, I mean, this is a big deal. Apparently, a lot of people were there, and it's here in the country where they're trying to go to Wembley, and he's supposed to be one of the big baby faces that he's making enough impression on people that they're commenting on it more than the occasional, you know, disgruntled Karen that you sometimes get. That's not good PR just for himself or just in general. And I would think that uh, is, was this uh, something that since FTR were there also a jungle boy, did Tony send them? to do promotion there. They were obviously well, being paid by somebody to do autographs and do whatever. So whoever paid them 
if it was not Tony, getting this kind of feedback, should call the office and say, hey, you know, we fucking fulfilled whatever agreements that we had, and this guy fucking mopes his way through everything and blows people off, so we're not happy about that. We won't be asking him back. Just thought you ought to know. Or if Tony sent him over there to promote fucking Wembley, then he ought to say, hey, asshole, you're a babyface. I didn't send you over there to blow people off and piss them off or, you know, act like you don't give a shit. I sent you over there to get them excited because you're excited about coming to Wembley Stadium. Last thing about this, and again, judging based on what you see on TV as much as what you hear in these stories, is there only so much time left on Jungle Boy as a babyface? Well, you might as well just put the period after boy because him a heel. I mean, just because he's an asshole doesn't mean he'd be a good heel. If he doesn't understand at this point, the things he doesn't understand and he doesn't want to listen to people's advice and he doesn't want to make his matches any better. And he doesn't want to make his promos any better as a baby face that he's already established as it, it, it. Have we heard that he's, Fuck it. I wouldn't enjoy wrestling unless they turn me heel. Until they turn me heel, I'm just phoning it in. No, he's not saying that. So if they turn him heel, he'll be an unmotivated fucking heel that's teeny tiny and has cute hair. His his this works for him. His his little fucking Johnny Sheffield all grown up and out of the shadow of Johnny Weissmuller look. Google O's kids. That that works for a baby face, but not a heel with cute hair and a cute face and 160 pounds with no physique. That's not your. That's not to your benefit. It's to your detriment. Well, this concludes the animal portion of the show. Out of the jungle and into uh. Oh, I'm, I forgot. Fire. We're doing my program. We're doing your. Pro hey, I got some news. Uh, you probably have not heard yet. If it's okay, if I can go to this. Can you go to that? Triple H spoke at the press conference for Backlash, the WWE pay-per-view event taking place tonight as we are recording in Puerto Rico. He commented on the heavyweight title tournament that begins after Backlash for the new championship. Oh, okay. So the, the new... <sighs> the World Heavyweight Championship will be the new title belt that they are awarding. Roman Reigns holds... What? It was the world title, wasn't it? And the universal title? It's now just the undisputed universal championship. But they're about to dispute it. Technically, they're only disputing it on planet Earth. He's universal. Son of a bitch, they got me there. So, but, but like, okay, wait a minute. There's an international waters like limit. Like after you're 12 miles out, it's in international waters. How high up? In the air do you have to be before you're out of the influence of planet Earth and you can consider yourself just the undisputed universal champion because you're out there in the universe? I don't know how high up you have to be for that, but you have to be pretty high up not to think Vince McMahon's the one making all these decisions right now. Well, I was about to say the person that's making the decisions is pretty high. But so anyway, so Roman will be the undisputed universal champion and he has been drafted to SmackDown. Therefore, they have announced that the other champion, the world heavyweight champion, will be exclusive to Raw. That was the phrase they used, right? Exclusive to Raw. That's right. And 
one would figure then that the twain wouldn't meet, that Roman's on SmackDown and that this guy's on Raw. And we just we spoke about not, this. We just spoke about yeah, all the various yeah. options because Heyman made that comment in the promo on Monday. But I'm just, I'm bringing the people up to date on here's where we are. And they have yet to tell us how that this champion is going to be determined, just that it's going to be on the Raw brand. Well, here's Triple H at the press conference. Feel free to tell me to stop at any point. Okay. But starting after Backlash this Monday night on Raw, we will begin a World Heavyweight Championship tournament. It will be across both brands. On Monday Night Raw, there will be two triple threat matches with the winners facing each wait, other. Wait, wait, ho, 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 ho. Don't call him a hoe. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> Nella, pump the brakes. And I'm going to say, you're going to have to back up a minute because triple threat matches, I don't want to bury one of the leads, but Jesus, we can't even get a tournament with legitimate matches and eliminations among top people. We have to have this triple threat or shit. But he just said across both brands. Well, how does that work then if the guy's exclusive to Raw? If one of the SmackDown people wins it that has just been drafted from <laughs> Raw to SmackDown. That's right. Then do they have to go back? Or if they, they are, they've been drafted and they were already on SmackDown to begin with, they now automatically would go to Raw? But why are you giving SmackDown people a chance at a title that's going to be exclusive to Raw to begin with Play the rest of it. There was no reason to introduce a new championship to begin with, but let's go Which, back to this. And in the weeks since they've introduced it, they've come up with multiple reasons, but let's go. It will be across both brands. On Monday Night Raw, there will be two triple threat matches with the winners facing each other later that night to determine a winner for Monday Night Raw. That Friday on SmackDown, the same thing will happen. Two triple threat matches will oh take God. place. Those winners will face each other at the end of SmackDown to determine a winner there. Those two winners from Raw and SmackDown will then go on to Night of Champions, where one of them will be crowned the new World Heavyweight Champion. Oh, boy. Well, there it is. There's the news. The the only part of that that I understand is I know why old, old Vince, two triple threat matches, and then the winners at the end of the night, that way they're going to keep people from start to finish, or that's what their, their goal is to accomplish, is to keep whoever the viewers are they start with all the way till the end, especially on Raw, which they don't usually do. Um... And also, if they're going to have to work twice, they're going to have probably the triple threat matches the first, you know, hour of the program or on early and then the single match on last anyway to give the guys a, a breather. But then in one week, they can't even say, okay, we're June is tournament month or May is tournament month. We're going to have elimination matches in the tournament every episode of the program this month until the finals are at the end of the month. They can't even draw that out and have elimination matches. They go, okay, four three-way matches in one week, 
and then two elimination matches, and the winner gets the pay-per-view. What the? Two again, in Saudi Arabia. the title picture in Saudi Arabia. I, all this is going to do is, as we've talked about, and I don't mean to go over it and belabor it in case anybody else hasn't heard, though. They're going to devalue what they've done with Roman Reigns, that he's had this dominant reign and he became the undisputed champion, and that's why everything was drawn and working and clicking. And then all of a sudden, oh, but there's another champion, and we've for all the reasons that we've been talking about. And again, I just imagine if Vince had gone to Hulk Hogan and said, hey, guess what? you're the world champion of Saturday night's main event and superstars, but on wrestling challenge, we're making savage the world champion. Holy fuck. Do you think maybe this is a way, including both brands, maybe this is a way to get out of it. Either get the belt on Roman or just some way to get out of the idea that I'm assuming, I mean, I shouldn't assume anything, but when they first created this belt, because it doesn't, you can't just make a new belt overnight. I thought the idea was maybe you replace the two belts for the Universal Championship with this. But instead, now there'll be another belt. Is this a way of tying everything together to fix this? But but it won't fix it unless Roman wins. Why would Roman be in the tournament? Because Heyman said he may be. I'm not saying it's a good reason why, but well, they already said, they said partners might be split up in the draft. They said they drafted five people in a, at a time. For one pick, they said a lot of things. If why would Roman, if Roman's in the tournament, then that means first of all you'd have to have Roman Reigns work twice in one night on live TV, and then at the pay per view he would have to basically win a secondary title, and then then why did they do this to begin with? It didn't last six weeks. It, 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 uh. And poor Triple H has to go out there and give the explanation each time that keeps changing. He had to do yes. it for the draft, and now he has to do it for this. Now he knows how Donald Trump's defense attorneys think. Um, it, it That's the thing. It They're just... I don't even know now if this is a network thing, like USA saying, well, we don't get the champion, and SmackDown saying, well, we want a champion, as much as I think Vince is back fucking things up again and it's almost like clockwork that every time the wwe starts taking off again and looking like they're running and leaving tony khan in the dust they managed to shoot themselves in the foot if remember we've been laughing about it for a year it's like a promotional war that nobody wants to win so then Vince comes back and now everybody's got a bad taste in their mouth and they're hate buying tickets to Wembley Stadium. And it, it, the WWE, meanwhile, instead of giving the people a finish to the hottest story they've had in years, that story became the never-ending story. And now they're splitting up the belt that Cody didn't even get a chance to win yet. Same one that they stole from my daddy in the garden. So all this shit's getting fucked up because apparently Vince is back and he's 10 pounds heavier and several shades darker and he's in charge. And now 
again, wrestlers are going to be like, fuck, we not might not be in the bloodline. We might get flatlined. Let's go over to play in the sandbox with Tony's friends. Triple H can't be happy about this. He looks miserable saying some of these things, <laughs> even though he does a good job of trying to get people pumped up. Yeah, but you, you can tell because he's got even more wrinkles in his forehead than he normally does whenever he has to announce or, you know, relate the information of one of these things that he knows deep down he's not going to be able to make sense out of, but he's trying. And the thing is, when you hear Vince explain some of these things, he makes them make sense, but nobody else can do it like that. Vince can't do it like that anymore. Well, not anymore. But you know what the problem is, don't you, Brian? I can think of a few. The problem with all of these people is they they don't take care of their gut health. That's the biggest problem, I think, is people not taking care of their gut health. Because you know you get the gut feelings of things you ought to you ought to go with and you ought to do. Right. And you'll you'll hear all these entrepreneurs and these millionaires have said, "Boy, I just had a gut feeling that I was going to invest in amalgamated buggy whips." Well, sometimes if you don't take care of your gut health, that gut feeling could just be acid reflux or too much carbonation or an undigested bit of beef from your soup. And then where, then you're not farting through silk. You've just shit and fell back in it. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's all about the gut health. And folks, our friends at Seed, you know the makers of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, they have sent some more information on exactly how big of a help this is, how much it helps you support all the things you need to support in the way of your gut health and blood cholesterol, heart health, skin health, digestive health. Do you know that Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic Brian is free from 14 classes of allergens? I believe I heard you say that once before. I did know that, yes. It's sugar-free, vegan, soy-free, sesame-free, gluten-free, peanut-free, glyphosate-free, dairy-free, shellfish-free, and corn-free. I don't even know how to take that. They're free of me. <laughs> There are no binders. That means when you take this stuff, it won't bind you up. You'll be able to poop freely. It actually promotes the freeliness of pooping. Not like just uncontrollably, just wherever you might be standing, but when you need to do it, there's no preservatives in the Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic, and it's compliant with Prop 65. Whatever that may be, it's got no problem with it. It's firmly within the constraints, which is, uh, I would look up the word compliant, but you got the picture. What you do, you take two capsules once a day on an empty stomach, and you don't have to starve yourself. But when you first get up in the morning, unless you're a, are you a sleep eater, Brian? My cousin Richard sleep was a eater. sleep eater. No, when I sleep, I sleep. I'm a sleep sleeper. No, you've heard people that sleep walk. They'll walk around in their sleep. He was a sleep eater. He'd go in the kitchen, just eat a loaf of bread, just just bread, just gobfuls of by hand, or just put his face in a pie in the refrigerator. And the next morning, he wouldn't know a thing about it, except for all the fucking meringue on his chin. Anyway, if you do it, or two hours after your last meal, you can take the Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Not your last meal, like if you're on death row. 
I guess if you're on death row, you don't need to worry about your gut health. If it's your last meal, you're not going to dovetail that quickly. But it, your last meal of the day, you take it after that, boom. And it's engineered to survive your internal environments. Basically, it means it goes straight to your colon and stays there. And it uh, promotes your digestive health. 16 of their 24 strains are specifically geared toward digestive health. And it reinforces stool hydration. And now you want your shit to be somewhat wet. A dry shit would be like sandpaper. Now you don't want, you want the proper, I guess, mixture, right? You want not too wet and not too dry, kind of just right, because if it's really wet, there's the splashing. But it promotes or reinforces ease of evacuation. Yeah, every time I take a dump, I the place that I'm in evacuates pretty fucking easily, right quick, boom, just like that. If it was dry, wouldn't it also promote splashing if a big dry thing hit the water? Oh, you still got water up there in your toilets? See, you got to get one of the new ones. It doesn't have water in it. It's got a little fucking hand that flips up and catches it and then fucking flips down underneath the thing and spikes it. And folks, again, gut ease from occasional gastrointestinal discomfort associated with increased intestinal transit time. Intestinal transit time, apparently that's... Well, it's like a traffic jam in in your colon down there. And when the poop gets stuck at a crossroads and you've got gridlock because you got a, one turd is crossways and the other turd's long ways and it can't get by, well, this will ease that issue. I, I, it's like a traffic cop. A traffic cop of poop in your gut. And also it promotes skin health. And a... Do you have to rub the poop on your skin? Wait a minute. No, no. If you take this, it'll work from the inside. So you do not have to have poopy skin. Of course you don't. Why would you even bring that up as an option? Well, because it, it seems like that those things would be different. But apparently the better digestive health you have also, then your skin is glowing and and bright and radiant. Right. And you suggest, you said don't wipe it all over yourselves. So why would anyone do that? Well, I was thinking, I went right from the, the, the ease of pooping and the ease of bloating. I guess it's pretty easy for me to get bloated anyway. I don't need any help with that. Oh, this eases bloating, I see. Uh, we went right from pooping and bloating to skin. I thought it was some kind of new skin treatment, but that obviously wouldn't work. I tried it. Anyway, so then you're going to maintain your blood cholesterol levels uh, with this seeds ds01 daily symbiotic and i'm not even to where i can talk about gut barrier integrity gut immune function or micronutrient synthesis as of yet we'll talk about that on a later program but basically if you don't want to die a horrible painful death of stomach rot well nobody wants that you need to go right now to seed.com, S-E-E-D.com slash drive. Use the code drive to get 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. It's all a biotic you're going to need, whether pro, anti, post, or pre, or sin. It's all right here. Smart people have put this stuff together. Too smart for me because I don't even understand how they describe it. Go to seed.com slash drive. Use the code drive. Redeem 25% off your first month of this fine product to keep you 
pooping freely and bright and radiant. You'll look you'll look like you're pregnant if you take this pride. Not in the bloating no, stomach. You won't. But not in the bloating stomach, but in the radiant, glowing skin of your face. You've heard that said before. Well, have any of the various that women said. that you've what? impregnated looked glowing, <laughs> radiant? First of all, let's not talk about the various women I've impregnated. Second of all, of course, all pregnant women look glowing and radiant. Yeah, well, you look like you're pregnant. If you take seeds, DS01 daily symbiotic, and nine months later, you may be able to write it off as a tax deduction. No, you won't, but seed. All righty, so let's move on with the wrestling news because we're WWE top-heavy today because of SmackDown and Backlash and Dynamite will come in uh, right now because that was this past Wednesday night, May the 3rd, and uh, that was AEW's offering this week, and we're going to talk about Wembley Stadium in a minute, but it's... it's <laughs> Have you ever seen a correlation between not only the quality, but the ratings of a television program going down, 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 and them doing the biggest show in the history of the company? It's like the worse the television gets here, the more insane people are going for Wembley over there. And of course, I know it's a different environment, and we're hearing that the, it's becoming a happening. But anyway... um. For this television program, again, it's trolling at this point because it's not keeping an audience. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you know that regardless of what you do on your program, the first 15 minutes are going to be the highest rated. I think there's been one deviation from that maybe in the last, what, how many months? So... Whatever you put in the first segment has the biggest audience because the first segment has the biggest audience, and it's always pockets. And this time, the first thing you saw was pockets and bandito. It looked like the guy that walked out with him was so embarrassed he had to cover his face. And did you see the statistic on pockets this week? Actually, I didn't. I didn't notice that. He is one win away from 100 wins in AEW. Whoa, congratulations. And since they only wrestle, what, once every week at the most, that means he, he's had two years' worth of wins. And it's got, no other name in this company has had 100 wins. Not any world champion, not any ex-WWE superstar, any Hall of Famer, nobody except the mascot that Tony Khan dressed up as on Halloween. So this is the first thing you see, but it's an eight-man tag team match. So here come Adam Cole and Roderick Strong, who is now... <sighs> Brian, you've been watching wrestling for a long time. How can the first match of a brand-new talent in the company be in an eight-man tag team match on TV where he didn't even get to fucking win. Well, it makes sense if you just don't want the guy to get really over. You just want him to kind of be middle of the road where he is. So it was the baby faces of Cole, Roderick Strong, Pockets, and Bandito against Jericho's Jobbers, who are basically everybody in Jericho's group except Jericho and Sammy, who are the only people who are significantly 
over to any degree. But Jericho was on color wearing Britt Baker's black eye shirt, which they just have tripled down on. And then they jawed a little bit, and then they finally they rang the bell eight minutes into the program for this match. And I, I wanted to see Roderick Strong because he he looks great as usual as far as being in cardio shape. He's got a tan. He's a great worker. He always works hard. He hits hard. His size has always been his issue, but otherwise than that, great fucking talent. Adam Cole gets in and looks thinner and paler than ever before. And then Bandito gets in and within seconds almost falls off the top rope. And the, so we're about a minute and a half into this match, right? And then suddenly, they just decide, all eight of them jump in the ring, face off, start an eight-way, peel out to the floor, fight everywhere. Ref Aubrey Ed was pacing back and forth like she was getting antsy in the starting gate. You know, she was afraid she wasn't going to get to referee this match. She was afraid she might be scratched earlier. Can you stop? None of these jokes on Derby Weekend. Well, that's that's why they're that's why they're for they're they're apropos, and basically they just did this eight way fight all over the place until that finally I fast forwarded finally till they got back in the ring, and as soon as they got back in the ring they went to the break, and when they came back the mascot was in the ring so I fast forwarded to the finish because seriously, Roddy hit a knee. And then Adam Cole hit another knee on one of the heels. I didn't see. Nobody cared anyway. One, two, three. And then Adam Cole bailed out of the ring and ran up the entrance way and tackled Jericho off the announce platform and security pulled him off. And there we go. And that had to be the first 20 minutes of the program. What were your thoughts on this extravaganza? Not surprised they started again with Orange Cassidy. Like you said, Tony is going to double down on this. He's insistent on it happening. Why debut Roddy Strong in the ring like this? Why follow up on any of the heat you want from the Cole Jericho stuff with this match? You skipped over a lot. One of the stupidest things that everyone still does, and it has to end soon, they did the spot, and there's eight men in this match. One guy runs in, hits the big move, then another guy runs in. All eight guys get their moment where they're yeah. waiting for the next guy to run in and do their thing. It's so boring. And again, the match isn't for me. I'm not an Adam Cole fan anymore. I liked a lot of his stuff in NXT, but I have not enjoyed anything since. Roddy Strong did look good, and you brought up his size. That's the one thing that people kind of... I did see a couple of posts like, how could Jim have a problem with Gargano and like Roddy Strong? Or Roddy Strong's not that much bigger than this guy or that guy. He looks like an athlete, though. Dean Malenko wasn't much bigger than a lot of guys. Right. He looked like an athlete. The thing about Roddy is he is always in great shape. Technically, his work is usually brilliant. He hits hard. He gives you the impression he's in a struggle. He may not have the most over-the-top personality, but he's an athlete, and he doesn't... It, it, the the Gargano shit is just not only is he boring as a person, but his he's a modern style worker where he just goes through the motions basically to me. Did you see? And, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'm just gonna say, and with 
with Adam, you know, I don't know. Again, I hate it if if he's sick, if there's something, but then why would he be wrestling? How can he be that pale and that small and that skinny? He did not look like that in NXT. I don't remember him looking like that in 2011 in Ring of Honor. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I forgot what I was going to say, but certainly not a match that excited me. I have to think if you're a casual viewer, not someone who's tied to the internet and wrestling news all day, you may be sick of Orange Cassidy. And again, the Cole, we'll talk about the Cole Jericho stuff, but Jericho unbearable on commentary, which is saying something because he's next to Shivani and Excalibur, <laughs> and they're all-time bad. But not a good opening to me, and, you know, AEW fans like what they like. Well, we'll talk about the ratings here in a little while. I don't know whether they liked any of it. Uh, Renee Moxley Good had Darby and Jungle Boy in the back about... What? what? Did you miss the second half of the Jericho stuff? Where Hold him... on. No, because I'm writing it down. They put this in the middle of it. Oh, I didn't remember that. Forgive me. Yes, I'm sorry. they did. Well, the reason why you didn't remember it is because there's Darby and Jungle Boy... With this, again, ridiculous story of MJF has paid Sammy to help him keep them out of the title match so that then Sammy can lay down for him in the main event. But obviously we know Sammy's not going to lay down and they're already teasing dissension between the heels. But nevertheless, that it never made sense to begin with because when the deal was made, then you'd have your whole pay-per-view main event fucked. So what's he going to do? Beat him up for 20 minutes and then lay down for him? So it didn't make sense. But there's Darby and Jungle Boy, and I didn't make a single note on anything they said about their main event because none of it was memorable. It was bleh. Bleh. Because you got one guy's boring and the other guy, Darby, proved he could talk when he's out there in front of the people with something to say, but this was nah. And then... They go back to the back where security is kicking Adam Cole out. He's, he's in his tights and boots, and he's on foot. They're going to send him out the back of the building into the night like that. Yeah, what's AEW policy on that? Let me get the playbook over here. What, you're allowed to just throw wrestlers out into the night? Yes, dressed in spandex swim trunks and wrestling boots, bare-chested. In the cold, the sleet, the snow, the driving rain, whatever the fuck, without their bag. And there's Jericho in camera shot telling him to kick him out and hamming it up and saying, he's dangerous. And then Britt comes up and he, she slaps him and then he bends over and then he gives her the Iggy. Did you see that? He grabs his shirt like, tear my shirt. And then she grabs his shirt and tries to tear his shirt off of him. And he's left laying there on the concrete by Britt Baker. Uh, but Another great Jericho feud with really well thought out booking that makes sense and isn't completely stupid. Jeez. Adam Cole gets pushed out by like 20 security guards or whatever. Wasn't that not 20? Like 10 guys. Push him out. Jericho, he said he gave her the Iggy. At one point, you could see him look over before she comes to see where she's coming. Yeah. <laughs> where she's coming from, I guess I should say. Where she's she comes coming? In the, well, I don't know about that. But then she comes in, she slaps him, he sells it like, and Noki slapped him. 
And that's it. Again, they did a hot angle. Adam Cole. I, I was I didn't like it, but for them, hot angle. Adam Cole handcuffed. His girlfriend gets the shit kicked out of her by these three heels. Then then put the image on a t-shirt. That now the girlfriend is selling, and Adam Cole got kicked out. I don't know. This has all been done poorly. Very, well, and very also poorly. they did a hot angle between Adam Cole and Chris Jericho, and the majority of the attention is on the T-shirt of Britt Baker. So again, anyway, then they did another promo in the back with the BBC, where Brian Danielson is saying he's better than Brett was. He knows how to get heat with this audience. He's the best in the world. He used that phrase. But their story is they want people to be better than us. So is what he's saying. It's the stupidest I want people argument. to be better than us. We want AEW to be the best company ever. That's why we're kicking the shit out of everybody in such violent fashion because we want to make them better than we are. This is the strangest heel promo or is the strangest heel mindset. Let's make the company as great as we possibly can by stabbing people in the faces with screwdrivers. I don't... And start out by cutting a promo on Bret Hart for no reason. Yeah. For no well, reason. Well, no, to get, to get heat with that crowd that they said something bad about Bret. With what crowd? The Young Bucks crowd? Yes. They're more into Sean than Bret. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's the crowd. I mean, it was just kind of like, I'm desperate for you people to boo me. So I'm going to say all these things. It's all very clunky. Wheeler's there front and center. The least intimidating of them all. Poor Claudio standing in the back as a deaf mute, not saying anything or reacting to anything. He's my Jason Statham. Well, that's I was about to say Moxley took over and did the last half of this. I can't yeah. do it justice. Would you, uh, Brian? He's my Jason Statham, and I'm Stallone, and we're going to blow up Steve Austin. And that was pretty much what Moxley had to say. He's ridiculous. He's the most ridiculous, like, hammy. Like, it's hammy. That's the thing. Danielson does this promo, and you're trying to, like, Listen to what he says and give it a chance, but it's ridiculous. We want everyone to be better. What? Stop this already. No more feuds where it's like, I want you to be who you used to be. We've seen that <laughs> way too many times. He wants the whole roster to be better. So he's doing this promo. Starts off with, for no reason, an attack of Bret Hart, other than, like you said, to get the fans to boo him because it's a ridiculous thing saying he's better than Bret Hart. Then after he's done talking, it's like he didn't know what to do next. So he just like, Okay, it's Moxie's turn. I get his head. And then Moxie slides down the banister a little bit. Yo, yeah, get in the camera and just do the Moxley act. I'm going to come in. I'm going to beat up everybody. There will be so a star. There will be, be dope. It's so it, lame. It's so fucking lame. And the thing, what did Moxley say? We, we want to be the hard metal that people sharpen their blades on well, or something. We're the blades. Or you sharpen the metal. Like, what the fuck is he even talking about? By the way, it's like a manufactured feud. That's why they can't do promos and explain anything. There are legitimate things that happened that you could use. Callus got legitimately busted open. Use that. Talk about that. Don't make it all of a sudden a bigger thing than it needs to be. We don't like you guys. You guys are pricks. We're going to kick your ass. You think you're going to kick our ass? We got a surprise for you. Not, we're trying to teach everyone and make everyone better. Here's my mumbling friend. Yeah. Like, no. This isn't working. This is Well, but, but you know, but Moxley, he got that metal crafting kit when he was in jail last time. They wanted to try to teach him a trade. I was in jail, and Tom Sizemore was my buddy, and then I kidnapped the warden, Donald Sutherland. 
Speaking of kidnapping, which one of the following names will be next to accuse me of kidnapping their children? Raka Khan. Uh, you had Soraya, accompanied by Ruby Soso and Tony Storm. Please say you watched this. Yes, I did. Oh, thank God. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't take notes on it. I just watched it against Willow Nightingale, who was very happy to be there. She's got an infectious personality. She's all right. You know what? I don't think she was the problem with any of this. But it, it, it style clash. Um, e, what's going on? Was and I understand that. Soraya was out for a while, had a bad neck, would have probably had to modify her style to make sure she doesn't get injured again. But wouldn't one think that the ring rust, if that was indeed the problem, would have been scoured off by now? Um, this didn't this, this didn't look good for AEW women's wrestling, did it? It was not good, and Soraya specifically did not look good in the ring. And I think that there's sometimes um you know, without having gone through her medical records or anything. I think sometimes maybe a promoter or a booker, you tell me, you have to be able to tell a wrestler, I know you really want to do this. Maybe physically you shouldn't anymore. Not you can't, but you just shouldn't. And, you know, unless it's just ring rust that inexplicably is there like this. I mean, she grew up around wrestling and everything. I mean, that's the thing we always hear. It was specifically not a good performance. Well, and then to be honest with you, even if you could have hoped for the best on this program, was it a good idea to give Soraya and Willow Nightingale that much time? No, I would have booked, actually, if you wanted to do a match with Willow Nightingale, even if you wanted to go that amount of time, and I don't think I would have gone that amount of time, put her in there with Tony Storm, I bet you it would have been better. So, I mean, they chose Soraya for this match... Mm. I don't know why. This would not have been the opponent I would have put her in there. Well, because Tony doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. But part of the art of being a booker, not a writer, because the writers don't understand because they haven't been in that position. Before You need to know that sometimes, even if you think, well, people might like the idea of this match, you've got to be able to see that maybe having that match wouldn't be a good idea for one or both participants and stay away from it. But in, and in if you're going to do it, give it three minutes. Yes. And then see what happens. And then maybe if you like what you got there, you could bring it back and give them a little more time sometime in the future. Nevertheless, Soraya won, obviously. And then here comes, out of nowhere, Hikaru Shida with a kendo stick before the heels can spray paint Willow. Hikaru Shida rolls in and faces off with the heels and then drops the stick and gives the heels a big hug. And they give her the paint can and they're holding Willow Nightingale so she can paint her. But then here are Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter that roll in the ring behind the heels and take them out. And uh, at least uh, Ruby and Tony. And then suddenly, Sheeta sprays Soraya in the face, picks up the cane, and canes the shit out of the heels. What the fuck is going on here? This was so ridiculous. It was humorous because it was unnecessary. The swerve... By the way, Tony Schiavone literally called it a swerve yeah, on commentary yeah. after it. 
which defeats the purpose. But this was all silly, and Hater and Britt Baker roll in the ring. Britt Baker was held down and had the crap kicked out of her, traumatized her husband or her future husband was there, handcuffed. She just gets in there smiling. They're waiting for their moment. After they start beating up the two on the ends, there's a gap. Soraya just stares at Sheeta. They did a close-up of Sheeta, so you could see you can't see Soraya, but if you're counting, you're like, Soraya's still standing in front of her, and then she spray paints her in the face. Yeah. Soraya jumped right into the cane shot. That was like noticeable. She jumped into it, but she put her forearms in the middle at the same time. She was protecting the tatas. The hardest discussion in wrestling that no one wants to have is the idea that there are too many women on TV that don't belong, and more than likely, AEW probably doesn't need a women's division. And quit giving them kendo sticks. It's bad enough with the guys, but then here's another thing you're just devaluing. If this 125-pound girl can wear out another 125-pound girl with a kendo stick and they just run off, then how dangerous is the kendo stick? It just it hurts for no reason. Anyway, speaking of hurting for no reason, what's next? The House of Black. <laughs> so they're in the dark in their scripted, stilted, spooky video style where they recite cool verbiage that they've written, that they fancy themselves, you know, these basically yeah. fucking spooky scribes that can come up with this verbiage that's so cool. I don't know what the fuck. I, I mean, I'll say something that sounds fake. Now I'll say something that sounds fake. I'm big. Like, they just take their turns That's, one after another. Yes, and it's, they're reading cue cards at best here, and it, I guess they think it sounds cool, and the gimmick is cool, but it, it. Did you hear what they I said? Wish, Did you actually listen to what Julia Hart was saying in this promo? Well, yes, I tried to. It's, it's hard ridiculous. to follow, but yeah. <laughs> basically they are announcing an open house challenge for their world six-man tag team title where they'll defend the title against anybody but they have to have rules there's a 20 count on the outside there's no rope breaks the dq rule will be in effect so they want they want normal matches with rules and no rope breaks i don't it sounds like more rules than the regular AEW match has but they're the same rules at most wrestling. What the fuck are, were they talking about? I couldn't tell you why they did this, why they thought this was a good idea, why they didn't have one of the commentators lay out. These are the new rules for the six-man tag champions, even though they probably shouldn't even have these rules. Julia Hart, as good as you think she looks in that role, on the mic, it, sound, it didn't sound like it fit. She sounded like just a, a woman reading, like you said, a cue card. She sounded like a woman reading a script. And then there will be no rope breaks. And this is because we do not want this. Like, it was just so Well, bad. yeah, but it's all because they're writing flowery verbiage that sounds cool in their heads, like in some medieval book they've read. But nobody talks like that, and it doesn't sound right when you speak it. Unless you're goddamn Sebastian Cabot, for fuck's sake. 
So that's uh, so again. There are too many the, wrestlers on Fantasy Island. They just want their <laughs> dreams to come true, whether it makes sense for the show or not. Uh, but I think they ought to just have Julia Hart just come out there and stand. Maybe they should just do that. But anyway, so they go from that, the open house challenge where the House of Black, under certain rules and conditions, and uh, depending on the state you live in, other rules and conditions may apply. And they go from that to the trios battle royal, where it's a tag team battle royal, but now it's six man teams instead of, so there's three on each team. And it was everybody on the job guy roster. And then also, and poor Hobbs, Hobbs was in this. I don't, I don't even know how many people were in it. There had to be, what, at least seven groups of three. Pizzeria Uno was in there. I didn't even recognize most of these people. And, I mean, you can't, what the fuck can you say? The acclaimed and Billy Gunn won the thing. Because now he's fucked up and realized, Tony has, that the people started liking the acclaimed and he had absolutely no idea of what to do with him when he got surprised by that. And so he botched the whole thing by having him drop the belts to the gun boys. And then he's been confused ever since as to what to do besides for no apparent reason, get them out there. So caster can rap and they can do the scissor and win a match. But it's in not even in regular tag team matches where you could say that it was being beneficial to them or building their reputation in some way. It's just goofy battle royals and meaningless eight mans with partners that they're forced into a situation with or battle royal trios matches with Billy. What the... <sighs> help me. I can't help you with this. This was a mess. Lots of guys out there you knew. Lots of guys you didn't know. Kip Sabian and the Butcher and the Blade were out there. Hobbs basically dove over the rope at one point when he was supposed to get double clotheslined or whatever it was. <laughs> Hobbs is teaming with QT and Solo. Yeah. So it's it's that's over already, folks. Uh, that was Hobbs' chance, and they shot it in the foot before it fucking left the gate. You know, we'll see where this goes with this big six-man uh, battle royal win. But based on how over they are now versus months ago before the booking was messed up, and in some sense, maybe even overexposure and bad comedy, I'm starting to think more and more they should turn Max Caster, break him away. Because I don't know how much more life there is in a babyface the acclaimed. And I don't know how much life there is in a heel acclaimed. But uh, I don't know. I had that thought watching this because I was just like, you know, the acclaimed have peaked. I even looked at the merch numbers. They're moving less merch. And I don't think it's their fault. I'm not blaming no, them. No, it's not their fault at no. all. But I think they got to do something different because it's gotten, I don't want to say stale, but something has to be done different. Well, and then... Just because, again, his EVPs were, you know, had the masturbatory fantasies of the six-man belt so they can have their own little division and play with all their friends, all the top tag teams with good established names in them went to six-man teams, and the tag team, and FTR was sidelined, 
And so the tag team division went to the acclaimed, the gun boys, and who dat and what's he? And it's, it's not, you know, anyway. At nine o'clock, the top of the hour, did you notice what they decided to have on screen at the top of the nine o'clock hour? Oh, uh, you know, I actually didn't this week because I paused it early in the show and went to get something to eat. So I wasn't on the, uh, I was a few minutes behind. I was it was Renee Moxley Good in the back with Sammy Guevara and MJF. A backstage pre-tape interview rather than something live in the ring was what they put at the top of the nine o'clock hour. And again, it was more of the convoluted deal that they've struck where they they had six weeks and it the first two were magnificent to make Darby Allen a star. And instead, because Tony's got the, you know, Adderall-influenced booking that a lot of basement bookers do that do this on the internet instead of for a living and had to have a four-way with the pillars. They've they've fucked it up. And MJF was doing comedy here. Sammy comes off as an idiot that is he's seeing through him, but he comes off as the biggest blithering simpleton in the world. The only reason he's seeing through him is because it's so blatant that anybody could see through him. And MJF doing comedy and Sammy being an idiot and this being meaningless mid-card level creative. It was a rare L, as the kids say, for MJF. It's it, The four-way is not... They're going to sell on the fact that it's AEW and it's pay-per-view and for the kind of people that like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that those people like. But a four-way match is going to do less, probably, although we'll never know, than what they could have done for Darby Allen and MJF for the title and create a little doubt that the little fucking goofy skateboarding prick may actually win it. Because this is just Mark Heaven, and those people are already going to be there, and they're already going to have bought it. They'd buy it if either any one of these guys was dropping their pants and taking a shit. So... And that was, and then they went to the break from that. So that was their top of the hour, a pre-tape and go to the break at nine Oh three. So I bet you, I haven't heard the quarters, but I bet you that wasn't a good thing for them to do. We'll see. This is the worst MJF stuff since the Jericho program. It almost reeks of Jericho. Some of the stuff in this feud, MJF shouldn't be doing comedy. We'll talk a little bit more about comedy. I'm sure in a little bit, MJF shouldn't be doing comedy. Now he's the world champion. He should be serious. He should be as unlikable he, as he, he is. He can be funny. He doesn't. He can't not be straight doing up. Or shouldn't be doing comedy routines with this other guy, where that's they're it. obviously putting it on. That's what reminds me of the they're Jericho. Not serious stuff. about it. See, that's straight up out of the Jericho program. Look, they need to get through this. Get through the four-way match. Let's all move on to do something else. And Darby could have been so much more of an asset at this point but now hey, that even time sammy. is gone also even if, and not sammy as much as darby but even sammy if you had isolated on one of them and built up something reasonably instead of a four-way which seemed apparent that it was going to be a four-way before you tried to convince people it wasn't 
And then in a clunky way, we ended up with the match everyone knew was going to happen anyway. Yes, but I I disagree. I, uh, Sammy would be better than Jungle Boy. Sammy and Jungle Boy, neither one are anywhere in the stratosphere of being an, uh, a world title pay-per-view main event, but Darby could have been. I agree with that. And you also agree that when Twinkle Toes and Don Fallis did their backstage pre-tape interview, they were inside an oil drum. Would you concur with that? It was completely I would not pitch black that. behind them. They had an echo. It's, I swear to God, it sounded, it sounded like when I was a kid and I'd stick my head in a cistern and hello, hello, hello. Don did decent. He can talk. And Twinkle Toes has the emotion of a stalk of celery. And at least Don showed the scar here on his head too. But has Kenny ever been mad at anybody? Has he ever been in a fight? Has he ever Yes. You know, been in a he skirmish. He was bit on the arm. Well, yeah. he, he got bit. Once bitten, twice shy. He was only trying to rescue a dog, though, in his defense. Hey, don't say that about Matt or Nick. Anyway, then, Wardlow powerbombed another one. So now they've decided, well, this is what got him over. And then we didn't know what to do, and we dropped the ball and went back and forth. So now we're just going to let him come out and start power bombing people. But the problem is, is that remember when Goldberg was coming out jackhammering everybody in sixty seconds? He didn't go through a three or four month period in the middle where he was competitive with numerous people, lost, got into an angle with unnamed security guards and then started coming out and jackhammering people or did i miss that part that section in the goldberg run well technically since the thing happened with wardlow the security guards have been one of the biggest acts in wrestling well yes but only for getting beat up That's they're right. booked everywhere they're like you know a lot of times in the old days guys used to say they'd like to change their name to many others because many others are booked on every card. But I think that now that it's the security, they ought to advertise them. Plus, 12 security guards will be at the show. Then you know they're going to do an angle. All right, so in this angle, Wardlow powerbombed Mr. Already in the ring and then got to the microphone and said he wasn't done and he called out Christian Cage and Dino Douche. And Christian came out with the microphone. He's got a great heel demeanor, wonderful heel promo that he can do, but he didn't hear because basically what he said was, I'm not going to send my boy Dino down there right now like you want me to because the title shot belongs to me. Music, and that was it. The bombshell was the title shot against Wardlow is not going to be the dinosaur. It's going to be Christian. And then they all, they played music and they all left. Was that a bombshell? No, not at all. Not to anyone. And we'll see what the match is. It didn't seem like a lot of people were ducking for cover. And we'll see if Christian can stay healthy after the match and have a rematch or anything. <sighs> um, how long has it been since he's had a match? I don't know, but didn't he get injured and then he got injured again? I feel like he's been injured like well, two he, or three he, times. Well, no, he, today, he got injured, then he came back, then he got injured again. He had the bad elbow. He came back and had a match with an elbow brace on and then has not wrestled since. 
I don't know, but he may be. You know, Mark Henry, they signed him to that two-year contract at first. He got hurt about four months in and got paid for like a year and a half for having two matches. Christian may be closing in. Uh, then they did something that I didn't think was possible and I never believed I'd see. They found a way to make the Briscoe family seem phony. They go to the Briscoe's Chicken Farm in Sandy Fork, Delaware. It's Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Zippy the Giant Pinhead. They go to Mark Briscoe's house and knock on the door and tell it they're trying to get in good with him. Because Mark, the story is Mark and Jay Lethal have been lifelong, not lifelong, but longtime friends. They're close. So now Mark doesn't know whether to trust Jeff or Dutt or whatever. The point is they, they knock on Mark's door and tell him that they're there to help work on the farm and they're all wearing overalls. And Sanjay doing his goofy comedy and the zippies in giant overalls. And they did silly video clips where they're chasing chickens. And then Papa Briscoe comes in, and he tells Mark, Jay's all right, but don't trust those others. Keep an eye on those idiots. Which ones? That's what I was saying. It was done not only as comedy, but also it's the first time Ring of Honor's been with the camera to the briscoe's farm many times everybody saw the promos that they used to do out there papa briscoe what a believable fucking guy he is and they the way this was shot and presented and the goofy comedy way that they went about it it's the first time i've ever seen the briscoe family where they looked phony because they were in a phony situation with people acting phony and they, 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 I mean, it's not like that he's going to be able to ever capitalize on the amazing chance he had to make Mark Briscoe a single star. That window is closed again. And it'll never open to that extent ever again. So he dropped that right in his fucking toilet. But now he has to diminish them rather than building Mark up because they don't know what they're doing and they think everything's a goddamn joke. I've made my point here. Anything for you to add? I really hated this. Now, I did see a lot of feedback from people who loved it. What? The people who like the kind of comedy stuff on wrestling that there is, they really like this. And there's a lot of people that have loved the Jeff Jarrett run because they see stuff like this, like, yeah, he's really great now. No, he's, he's embarrassing me. That I've said good so many good things about him because he's not he's not bringing the young kids up to his level. He's sinking to theirs. He's like an Uncle Dave in the ring now. Instead of saying, here, I can teach you. This is the way you do these things and that things. Here's how you book. Here's how you do an angle. Here's how you figure a finish. Whatever the fuck. He's out there assing off chasing chickens with a bunch of bad comedians. And Sanjay's unbearable at this point. Get him off TV. Just get him off TV. And, you know, the thing is, like one of my favorite things ever is the death of the Bruce Brothers and the introduction of the new Fabulous Ones. On its face, it's really silly. Jimmy Hart comes out on TV with Lance Russell, 
and immediately says the Bruise Brothers have passed away. The audience gets silent. Yeah. They don't laugh about this. He says the Bruise Brothers have passed away. Here's a news video. And then there's a video that on its face is ridiculous. Jimmy Hart and Joe LaDuke and a woman covering her face going into a funeral home. And they're the only people there. But there was nothing silly about it. The idea was silly, but they shot it seriously. They go back to the studio. Jimmy Hart says it's been such a bad day, but behind every dark cloud, there is a silver lining. It starts to hit Lance Russell that something's going on. And they go to the music video, the new Fabulous Ones. Again, you want to talk about something that, as an idea, is completely ridiculous. Pork Chop Cash and Dream Machine in bow ties yeah. and jackets and top hats. And then in the bathtub. And eventually in the bathtub, too. But they played it seriously. They didn't do any jokes in that video. The joke itself was the video. Yeah. They didn't ham it up. They didn't have they to. Didn't, they didn't put a hat on a hat. No. It was funny, and it's still funny, and it holds up, and it worked because it wasn't too much. And every attempt at wrestling comedy, because you'll see people say, like, oh, well, they did stuff in Memphis, and they did a lot of stuff in Memphis I don't like, especially later on. Wrestling comedy, when it works, it's because it's a part of everything that's happening and it's funny for what it is, not because it's an attempt to be funny. And this was an attempt to be funny. You talk about the missed opportunity with Mark Briscoe. Listen, MJF right now has no opponent. There's the missed opportunity. They could have spent a few months building up Mark Briscoe for MJF. Imagine yeah. MJF cutting promos on the Briscoe family. Oh, That would have been it. FTR's involved in this. I mean, they weren't involved in this video. But remember, they were like arguing with Jarrett and crew over who's going to be friends with Mark Briscoe. They are the poster boys for missed opportunities in AEW. <laughs> so I didn't like this. I think they're wasting Mark Briscoe. I think it's a waste of using Papa Briscoe for the first time on AEW TV in this way. I think Jeff Jarrett's been really impressive in the ring. But his manager at ringside has to go. Hasn't done anything to help Jay Lethal, but that's almost a lost cause. The giant still makes no sense. He's there for no reason. It's just a generic, random giant. He's there so they'll watch the YouTube videos in India. Which I don't even know if that's really happened. But no, this wasn't well, good. And for well, everyone, the people in India are going, why are we looking at our countrymen wearing overalls and a big floppy hat? But for everyone who sees this and you think that this is the kind of wrestling comedy that works, I think it's the opposite. This is the... This is the kind of stuff that if you're really in the bubble, you'll get a kick out of it. And if you're not, you're going to say, this is really silly. I don't want to watch this. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that 30 or 40 years ago, the, it would have been, the wrestling fans would have hated it and real wrestlers wouldn't have participated in it. It would have been the shit that they did on Saturday Night Live to make fun of wrestling. And now the only people that like it are the people that are really in the business. Anyway, moving on, Ricky Starks versus Juice Robinson. And Juice, another, he's working hard. And he's, he's got, as you said, that shaggy Muppet-like look. He's a different kind of cat. He's never won a match yet, right, on television. So, again, he's another guy that comes in and debuts in the company and they proceed to then violate 120 years of tradition by 
both using him in a spot and putting him on television to lose time after time before he ever wins a match. This is the only company I think that has ever happened on a consistent basis in the history of wrestling, is it? Can you think of any other time that would have happened? Tony has very odd ideas about how to get people over or make people care about matches. I don't agree with him. Well, anyway, they had a you know a good match, but then they go to the floor and Juice spends time putting the stairs in the right place, but then Starks reverses it and gives him a full body slam while standing on the stairs, off the stairs, onto the floor. But that's their break spot. <laughs> Most of the match it felt like was on the floor. Um, well, again, it's AEW, isn't it? They spend uh, all the time either fighting on the floor, which everybody else does, and then you also, unless it's a heated grudge match, the likes of which you don't see much anymore, then you hinder your live reaction because a lot of people are either watching the screen to see you or can't see you to begin with because you're on the floor doing the same shit everybody else does. And then whatever the finish is going to be, um is not going to look as good as half of the bumps that they took during the match because a full slam off the stairs to the floor, so that's about eight feet. Um, that probably hurt worse than Starks hitting his finish, which is what he ended up winning with. But it's a modern match, and that's what they do. And again, we talked about missed opportunities. Starks was red hot a few months back. Yeah. He isn't anymore. They did a thing on TV. It must have been at least a month ago now. Juice Robinson shows up out of nowhere and attacks him. There hasn't really been much follow-up on that. There have been a couple of promos, and now he's at ringside for Jay White's debuting AEW matches. Well, but they, they, they brought it back here because as soon as Starks beat Juice to prove that Juice is just a flunky and is not going to win any of the big ones because he's losing everything when you first see him. But then Jay White came from behind. They must have a tunnel under the ring. Because they're getting in from the backside real quick these days. And he fucking jumps on Starks and starts beating Starks up. And then Starks comes out from under that. And the heels just ran off. And I wrote, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the, the new guys never, never win anything. But sometimes they can beat up the baby face. But when you think about it, the last three or four times we've seen Starks, he's been left face down in a puddle of his own piss. So it was time he did something, but the, these heels ain't much threat. Really, are they? I miss singles. I just miss no factions and no associations. You know, everyone now is tied in with other people. And I see someone like Juice Robinson, and I almost feel like it hurts him because he doesn't stand out as much when you just have him with other people. Again, he's just got there. We don't know what he's going to really bring to the table. I haven't watched a lot of his New Japan stuff. Well, he's not going to bring anything because people already think he's a job guy because he gets beat every time he... You know, that's Now, probably in about six months, he'll win a match, but by then it's too late. It'll be in Japan when he wins that match, but anyway. And by the, it, it, again, in territory wrestling, it was very simple. Heels helped heels and baby faces saved baby faces. So it did, you didn't have to have alliances or factions or groups or whatever 
if the fucking heel in the main event was the champion and he needed somebody to help him, well, a couple of the other heels had come out because they share the same locker room and they come out to the arena on the same side of the fucking entranceway. So they're friends. We know that. And the heels would come out and help in the baby faces, even if they weren't tag team partners. Even if they were job guys. Even if they were job guys, if you're in a babyface locker room, that's the locker room you share with these other guys, your friends, you come out and help babyfaces. And that's the way it was. And everybody automatically accepted that because there was no deviation from that pattern. Anyway, in the back, again, now MJF is trying to talk to Jungle Boy again. They're having the heart-to-heart talk in the back there where MJF wants him to play ball and stab Darby in the back because, you know, you could be a star, but you're too nice a guy. But he won't do it. He, with absolutely no emotion whatsoever, he tells MJF he's not going to do it. And then Darby comes in and catches them together. And that's what I wrote. This is Adderall-based drama for high schoolers. Junior high school. I literally thought junior high school, so I'm going to correct you. Okay, I'm. I will say. What 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 years are that? That's uh, that most places seventh and eighth grade or sixth to eighth grade. Six six day. That's about right. So then they had the match: MJF and Sammy against Darby and Jungle Boy. And the deal is, if if MJF and Sammy win, then that's they will have a singles match in the main event of the pay per view for the title. But if Darby and Jungle Boy win, then it'll be a four-way. And I have a feeling that probably most people could predict this and figured it's going to be a four-way because they know what AEW is like at this point. And I think that's why that it didn't have a lot of fucking interest because nobody's interested in a four-way. And I don't think the people in the building were necessarily as interested in this thing as they normally should be um jungle boy and sammy started with the mean-spirited tumbling but when darby and mjf got in it was good they wrestled part with the headlock takeover partly because that's you know their little thing their little rib but partly because they can both fucking work and then MJ, J- Jungle Boy gets in and MJF calls hair pulling. Bless him. I have not seen a hair a heel call hair pulling in 20 years. And another thing we lost. Anyway, they stopped Darby with the knee in the back, which is heel stuff. So at least you could obviously tell who the baby faces and who the heels were. And they got so they choked Darby with the scarf, but then Darby turned it around and choked both of them, got a big pop out of it. The heels actually set up a hot tag for Darby. He kicked one off, he kicked the other off, then he ducked both and dove. That's a hot tag, and people popped for it. Even when Darby was tagging Charisma Kid himself. So Jungle Boy does the comeback. The heels fed properly and took some big bumps. But that's the heels feeding on a comeback. When I talk, you go back and watch this, the heels fed him. They were in the right place, and they knew where to bump to not get in each other's way. And then, of course, Jungle Boy does five dives in a row, one out one side, then the other side, then the first side, then the second side, and the first side. And as he goes for the sixth one, he's selling like he's all blown up, and Darby did one, the final one, 
and it looked better than all the Jungle Boys and got a bigger pop. And then Darby has see? the best dive in the entire business. I'm well, yeah, because he just he just bounces off the fight. It looks like an offensive move instead of here's some dickhead waiting to catch another dickhead when he jumps off something. If you can't, if you can do it like that, then I don't mind the dive. But all the rest of them look phony and bullshit. And this is not about impressing people with your acrobatic ability. Uh, and speaking of and not impressing people with the, their ability, did you see Jungle Boy give Sammy the double arm sit-out powerbomb thingy? What do they call it, a tiger driver? Yes, I saw that. Jesus Christ, do you know what went wrong? Who did what first that they weren't supposed to? Well, no, actually, Sammy was pretty blameless in this because Jungle Boy hooked him uh, uh, his like a double arm suplex, folks, if you can envision that. Like he's going to butterfly suplex him. He hooks him. And the deal is you, well, kind of like an Ahmed Johnson where you pick the guy up and he sits up in front of you and you grab him around the waist, do the sit-out powerbomb. Well, Sammy got up high enough, but when Jungle Boy brought him up, go back and watch it. When Jungle Boy brought him up, when he let go to grab him and sit down, he didn't grab him around the waist. He grabbed him around the middle of his thighs, which, which meant that now Sammy had no support otherwise than by the legs and his head started as Jungle Boy was starting to sit. It was spiking Sammy head first down and Sammy extra tucked his chin and took it on his shoulders, but he didn't take it on his back. He took it on his fucking shoulders with Jungle Jack off driving him down by his legs on the fly. So that was, again, about three inches away from, well, the match is over. Let's take the ropes down so we can get the paralyzed corpse out of the ring. But anyway... So then, the close of the thing, where they they got the hot tag, which they, again, they couldn't do it twice in a row, Jungle Boy, cold tag Darby, but the way they set it up, MJF was going to give Sammy a rocket launcher senton. Sammy's up on the top. MJF's going to do, like, the rocket launcher movement, but since... Sammy is noted for the senton. It's going to be a senton, right, on Jungle Boy. And they did that in Jungle Boy Move. Did you hear that the people didn't get it? What do you mean? They didn't get it. The people didn't get it. They didn't pop like, yay, because they didn't get it. Because I see what they were trying to do, MJF and, and Sammy. They want to do the rocket launcher a la Midnight Express, but customize it for one of Sammy's moves, the swanton off the top, right? But when you go back and look, not only did Jungle Boy, his move out, of, out from under this, of the guy coming off the top rope, was just to roll one roll inward toward the guy in the corner, but there was no urgency to the roll. There was no flailing of arms. There was no call attention to me. Look at me. I'm getting out of the way. They just like rolled. Blah. At the same time, MJF launches Sammy. Sammy does the senton. It looked like MJF slammed Sammy off the top rope. He just gave him a big slam from the top all the way into the middle of the ring. 
So the people sat there and went, wait, it, hold on. Did MJF just turn on Sammy or what happened here? You didn't catch that. I did. I didn't remember it until you started describing okay. it. Okay. But I caught that. But they didn't get it. There was no pop. The people didn't understand because even though it was a good idea, I give them points for creativity. A rocket launcher senton looks like I just grabbed you that I'm supposed to be trying to help and slammed you off the top rope. And the people were like, hmm? But anyway, then that's where Jungle Boy then just kicked MJF off and cold tagged Darby. But Darby made a great comeback, nice quick shit, turned a code red or turned over with a code red on one of the heels and then went to do it on MJF and he reversed it into a power bomb. And then they started the consternation between the heels. Well, first, first it was the babyface, because the babyfaces made a blind tag where Jungle Boy got in and got the bear trap on MJF, but now it's like they're making blind tags, the partners are, where they're not doing it on purpose. So then Sammy saves, and MJF and Sammy Milk doing a double dive. Well, Sammy does the dive. And MJF stops, and then Sammy throws Jungle Boy back into MJF, who hits the hammerlock DDT that he does for a two-count. I can't believe he killed that finish on mid-card Melvin. That thing looks phenomenal. That should be... He should use that and win with it on a regular basis, or as regular as he ever wrestles. But what a fucking move, and Jungle Boy kicks out, too. Anyway, the people... That's what I'm saying. They weren't into it. I think they either called what was going to happen ahead of time. They don't like the story behind this, whatever. They were not freaking the fuck out over this. And then finally, Sammy does the senton, but MJF had tagged. So MJF got the cover for a two count. Sammy was pissed. And MJF hits powerbomb, but then Sammy had tagged him, and he gets a two count. And when the heels are arguing... MJF slaps Sammy, Sammy super kicks MJF, and then Jungle Boy hits Sammy with an elbow drive, but Darby had tagged himself in off Jungle Boy and hit the coffin drop on Sammy, one, two, three. So they did a lot of fucking complicated business there to get to where that everybody knew they were going anyway, and most people ain't interested. Your closing thoughts. I think most people aren't interested is the big takeaway here. I don't think it's about MJF or, in a sense, not even any of the four individually. Because even though I think Jungle Boy is bland and, based on what we read earlier in the show, not much of a baby face, when used right in the right way, it's not as bad. But having all these four guys in here, and during some of these promos, it seems like all four guys are just, and I hate to put MJF in the mix with this, so... The three other guys that don't usually get this kind of treatment, it's like they all went to, they all thought of this as like the chance to like do the big promo they've always wanted to do. And <laughs> Darby was good, but he went on too long. Sammy, babyface and heel in the same promo. Jungle Boy's come across as completely unlikable. You look at everything with MJF the last few months coming out of Danielson. They could have done more with him and Starks. Him and Mark Briscoe just seems to me like that would have been the natural thing. Because people would have been, people would have been emotionally invested in it yeah, right the away. Promos and if Mark had just dedicated to for my big brother, I'm going to win this. 
and then MJF tear him down and people feel sorry for him. Anything, anything. But I think right now it's kind of a holding pattern. We got to get through this pay-per-view, got to get Punk back in there, and then we got to see where everything settles. We got to see who's going to be working with who and MJF, they need to do. I think Punk needs to bring some reinforcements because there's not a lot of money drawing talent. There's a lot of green talent. Money's green, but not this kind of green. But there's not a lot of money drawing talent. Oh, boy. All right. What were the numbers on this thing? I've, I don't know the quarters. I heard the overall was not uh, what they would have wanted it to be. Well, for the record, very strong competition. The NBA playoffs are in action right now or in effect or happening. I watched the Knicks the other day beat Miami. What a wonderful night that was. Also, there's all sorts of women's reality shows on whatever channels they watch those on. Yeah, and, and there's an all-night gas station that just opened down the street. How are you going to compete with that? AEW Dynamite from May 3rd on TBS, on average, was watched by 776,000 viewers. So that, uh, well, at least they, we said they're stuck in the 800s, 830, 860, 860, 830. At least now they broke out of that pattern. The first segment, 8 to 8.15 p.m., these were compiled by WrestleNomics. Adam Cole, Bandito, Orange Cassidy, and Roderick Strong versus the Jericho Appreciation Society with picture-in-picture, picture, 895,000 viewers. Okay, again... Uh, their Big Bang lead-in, it's always the top quarter hour, and that's what people see when they get a first glimpse. Did they all stick around? Segment 2, 8.15-8.30 p.m. The continuation of the eight-man tag team match, as well as Darby Allen's backstage promo. Adam Cole beating up Chris Jericho through the building, getting thrown out, and Britt Baker attacking Jericho. And the Blackpool Combat Club's promo, 804,000 viewers. Oh, jeez. In 15 minutes, they lost 91,000 people. And by the way, do you think if Adam Cole was to be arrested or ticketed for indecent exposure because he was thrown out in public in just his skivvies, would he be able to turn that into Tony to pay it? Do you think if he got arrested and he said, I'm a wrestler, they would believe him? If they I saw him? I think uh, they would probably arrest his legs for non-support. Well, segment three, let's see if that 804 gets any support. Segment three, Soraya versus Willow Nightingale. Oh, boy. With picture-in-picture picture and the post-match swerve with the outcasts and Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, as well as the House of Black promo. 824,000 viewers. Do you mean to tell me that that rotten girls match, <laughs> that that's an indictment of the opening eight man then that 20,000 people might have come back to see that rotten girls match. It's Go Orange Cassidy. I, you know, I don't think Adam Cole gets too many people excited, but I think in terms of who would cause people to stop watching, Orange Cassidy. It's been yeah. the same thing week in and week out. People are sick of him, whether Tony realizes that or not. Segment four, 8.45 to 9 p.m., the entrances, and then finally, the Trios Battle Royal and the post-match, 802,000 viewers. And they've lost the 20 they gained back and two more. So now we're down 93,000 people in the first hour. 
Segment five, the nine o'clock hour, nine to nine fifteen p.m. Oh yeah, the the backstage pre-tape. Sammy Guevara and MJF backstage promo. Kenny Omega and Don Callis's backstage promo. And Wardlow versus Logan LaRue. And then Christian Cage comes out. 766,000 viewers. So, again, at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, people flip around and they see MJF and Sammy doing a comedy routine. And there went... You know, and and the people that were already there, there went uh, 36,000 of them. Segment six, nine fifteen to nine thirty p.m. The Mark Briscoe, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Satnam Singh video, and the start of Juice Robinson versus Ricky Starks with picture in picture, seven hundred and thirty-three thousand viewers. And there's another thirty-three thousand, and they. <sighs> At this point, they're kind of off the cliff, aren't they? Not yet. Segment 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m. The finish of Juice Robinson versus Ricky Starks. The post-match with Jay White. The Jungle Boy, Darby Allen MJF backstage angle. And the start of MJF and Sammy versus Darby Allen and Jungle Boy. 692,000 viewers. Ouch. So there went another 41,000 for the start of the main event. And finally, segment 8, 9.45 to 10 p.m. To quote Jerry Jarrett, Robert, it can't get much worse. Robert said, oh, yes, it can. Well, Jerry may have been right on this occasion. The conclusion of MJF and Sammy versus Darby and Jack with picture-in-picture and the post-match 692,000 viewers. So the exact same thing. That's two right. Two quarters in a row, which never happens. Um, so they lost 203,000 people over two hours, which is 24, 60, is uh, <laughs> between 20 and 25% of my rough well, mathematics of the entire audience. Real quick, because it's an interesting note here. The key demo, 18 to 49-year-old males... They started at 416. They ended at 322. By and large, that is their usual weekly trend. So the idea that that stayed the same and they lost all these other viewers, are we supposed to believe that was all just people over the age of 49 that decided <laughs> to watch the show? I, I don't know what to tell you. Well, again, strong competition. Can't take anything away from the NBA playoffs. It's a big deal. And apparently the reality shows on women's TV. But beyond that... How big is the women's audience anyway? Well, that show audience is pretty big on cable TV. No, I'm talking about how big is the, the female audience of AEW. Because certainly most of those people are not getting laid. I haven't checked the key demos for that programming, but... For what, for the people not getting laid? Exactly. But you got Orange Cassidy starting off the show almost every single week. You have to be in the bubble to not be sick of him. Even if you didn't have a problem with him like we do, you have to be sick of him by now. Every single week. Regardless of the promos and the angle with Jericho and the reality show that no one's watching, it's not working with Adam Cole. At least not yet. They got Roddy Strong, big debut last week, runs out, they already got his music queued up. Just thrown in this match. 
with Bandito, who wrestled Orange Cassidy last week. And then Orange <laughs> they Cassidy. They shook hands after. They shook hands. He gave him the sunglasses that couldn't fit on his face because he's wearing a fucking lucha mask. And now they're best friends and part of this. You got that stuff. This four-way program has done no favors to MJF. They got to get MJF away from this and in a serious feud with a serious main eventer. Immediately. And quite frankly, the Blackpool Combat Club Elite stuff has done nothing to excite anyone outside of the bubble. So until these things are addressed, I don't think, I mean, it's not always going to be this low because it's not always going to be NBA playoffs, but nothing showing signs of going up. And Wembley is, an, is a major accomplishment that should be celebrated. It's a major accomplishment. But when you could draw over 60,000 there and you can't get 4,000 people in some town in America to come on a Wednesday night, Wembley almost makes you ignore some of the problems. Well, and that's, I think that's what they're hoping. And let's talk about Wembley for a second. What are we up to? 60,000 tickets? I believe so. That was the last thing I saw this morning, yeah. Okay, that means that at least 10% of the people that watch the television program in the entire United States of America, 10% of that number of people are willing to buy a ticket to see it live in England. And we've been talking about, and there's numerous reasons, including what we're hearing from the fans that are over there that have bought tickets and on Twitter and et cetera. They, the same thing, the clash at the castle in Cardiff. They don't get big events. They don't get landmark milestone events like this and the first Wembley Stadium wrestling in the 35 years or whatever it is and AEW's first time there it was going to be a happening regardless but now it's feeding on itself it's it's hysteria it's you know the the fans over there have built it up into a must be there event without knowing who the fuck or what the fuck's even going to be there and that doesn't really happen anywhere else except with AEW. And that's kind of been their model since the start, since the all-in. And, it, it, it's, I mean, this is on a much more massive scale than, than that was to sell 10,000 tickets here in the United States. That was a major accomplishment because they've been wrestled to death over here by every company for years and years. It's not the unusual, one-of-a-kind, anomaly type of thing that it is in the UK. But now, again, we said, when's the last time ever there hasn't been one where a company's Business in every facet was either staying flat or going down, but yet they suddenly do the biggest show ever in their existence. And that nobody, including WCW, when 10 times as many people were watching this shit from everybody's company, WCW was never able with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and Randy Savage and a blah, blah, blah. It's because not only, as I said, the, you know, the Wembley Stadium being a landmark thing and the, the country being the wrestling fans over there being starved for the big events, but this is, again, a massive self-hypnosis of the crowd that we are going to will something into being the biggest goddamn thing ever because we hate 
the other promotion so bad. And now Vince has done them. I don't think this one is all about that as much as the original All In was. Well, I mean, not as much as the original All In was all about we hate, but all of this is contributing now. You've You've got the incredibly dedicated and hungry wrestling fans that love every company in the UK and will go see anything, but they're going to see AEW because that's the big show that's coming up. You've also got the people that fucking, and now that Vince is back, it's the best boost to AEW's business to have Vince McMahon back in the WWE and as interference, interferencing as possible because that just stirs up the anti-WWE again. So, again, like I said earlier in the program, every time either one of these companies does something good and is moving in, in a positive direction, it's not the necessarily the other company that does something bad to them, it's their own selves. And the, the with the bloodline story, everybody was into it. And then all of a sudden, ah, it didn't end. It's still going on, but we're kind of not caring. And old Vince is back. They've shot themselves in the foot over there. Meanwhile, Tony unveils the Wembley Stadium show and conditions are right. And it's become hysteria. And I'm sorry, even for the people who love AEW, is anybody going to honestly say that because this this show drew more people or sold more tickets than any other competing promotion of the WWE in history for however long, without even knowing the card, is it still, is it going to be the fact that the show was great, that the wrestlers on the card drew the house, or was it the happening and the hysteria? See, I think, Can, it's, I think it's that. And I think there is a segment that wants to support AEW, but I think it's the happening, the hysteria. I actually don't think it's really about negative or anti-WWE sentiment this time. Not that those fans there aren't going to feel that way, but I don't think that's in any way the driving force here because... But they can't feel the show. The, the human beings are not living on the planet Earth for them to put in the ring that will have a greater show than all the other great shows from every company before now that didn't draw this big. It's not possible. Well, we'll see what they put on that show, but I mean, if they did it right and had the right matches, they could have some really memorable main event matches on the well, show. Well, yes. But I mean, but, I mean for, if they're going to have the usual undercard of shit, I mean, that's just what AEW does. Well, they're going to have what they usually have. And again, it doesn't matter to their fans what they have. And I guess that's what I'm saying. This is the first time in history that a company can do something like this without anything about the product being good or moving in a positive direction. And the people don't even know what the fuck's going to be on the card. Won't it be funny if we find out Vince McMahon bought all these tickets and no one's there? <laughs> well, he spent $20 million for pussy, so he might spend 6 or $7 million to put an empty arena in uh, the competition's backyard. But anyway, that's just... I mean, even if you are a fan of AEW and think, oh, well, you know, the the buckaroos are great, nobody can believe that this is that this product, this promotion, or this card 
is or will be better than anything else that's ever been done. They've again hit the right place at the right time with the right fucking thing to cause hysteria and people now have to be there just because so many other people are going to be there. Smaller example, but the first time they ran Arthur Ashe, major crowd. The second time, big crowd, not as big. This is their first time in England. They're doing it yeah. at the biggest arena there. The question's really going to be, again, not to take away, this and, is a and, major and, and, and accomplishment. That's, that's not do well, Again, like you said, that's not knocking them and that's not doing any other than stating facts. No promotion in the modern era does a big debut show in any market anywhere and comes back and outdraws it the second time because it's not the first time anymore. Instead of the first time ever, it's the first time ever in the last four months. So that's different. Go Should ahead. Should this change the strategy for people going forward, whether it's Tony or WWE or if someone else gets in the picture who's a billionaire and well-funded, the idea that you can create these events, get people in the door, and fill the card in later? I mean, the idea that you could book this big show your first time... The first time you go into a town, should they now just book the biggest arena <laughs> and just wipe it out the first night and then see what happens the second time a year later? Well, well, here's the thing. WWE can't go to any towns for the first time anymore. So that lets them, unless right. it's international. And even then, it's going to be tough. Good point. Good and point. AEW, um, you know, it, it, domestically, just because they're opening up a new market, they're still, they're regularly in this country and the Americans don't view each individual wrestling event like the folks in the UK do because they don't get as many of them. So no, I don't one company. They could do this again. The first time they go to Australia or so, I don't fucking know, but it reminds me, I've told you that time before when TNA, when I was there in 2006, they were going to England. I think they drew six or 8,000 people there. TNA for fuck's sake. And the advance was huge. And I was sitting there talking to Jackie Moore, Miss Texas. And, you know, she were looking at the she was going on the trip, we're looking at the booking sheets and all the travel information, everything. And I said, Jackie, did you ever think it would come to this that we would kill the business in the US so bad that we'd have to go to England to draw a decent house? And she looked and she said, No. Nope. Never thought that. And I said, well, I got faith, though. And she said, what? You got faith? We'll bring it back? I said, no, I got faith they'll kill England, too. But apparently they haven't yet. They might do it with this one, though. This might be the last straw. Well, Impact's still working on this country. They, once they kill this country, they'll get to England. Well, I think, that fortunately, they've been disarmed. They really, it's like a pocket knife now. They might be able to get a few people close by, but it's not like they're going to be able to take out the whole country anyway so that's meanwhile while fewer people than ever watch the program here in this country more people than ever before have bought tickets to see them in england and that from what i'm hearing they have made a new hire a new personnel uh somebody to help tony and his overburdened self with a booking or talent or something that's what i'm hearing Yes. Uh, hold on. Let me get the official announcement. Tony Khan tweeted this out May 3rd, 7.10 p.m. Here's the new AEW Wrestling Administration Coordinator, working in many areas of wrestling. Live events, social media, creative, 
PR. He has a great wrestling mind. He's here backstage tonight at Wednesday Night Dynamite, live on TBS. And it's official. Will Washington is all elite. <laughs> with a graphic of Will Washington with the AEW is, or Will Washington is all elite sign. And there's a picture. There's a picture. Of Will Washington. Because, because I know what everybody out there is saying right now. It is the same thing I said. Who the fuck is Will Washington? And you apparently have actually heard his, because I had never heard this name before. At first, I thought it was the guy that used to be on Star Trek Next Generation or something. You thought it was Will that? Wheaton. Will Wheaton, yeah. <laughs> of all things. But, well, I don't, I don't, because <laughs> who is this guy? You claim to have heard his name. I have never heard this fucking guy's name before. And, and, and second question, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Has he ever been employed in the professional wrestling industry before in any of the capacities that was just described that he's going to be working in an AEW? I don't know for certain, but I do not believe so. Will Washington, from the best of what I know, and I've never actually heard his show or what he does, but I've heard him during the press conferences, the press scrums. He's worked for Fightful. He's been podcasting apparently for a long time. He's got some fans. People like his point of view, one of them being Tony Khan, who hired him. And again, and I'm not, I'm not shitting in Will Washington's or Will Wheaton. Which one is Will it's Washington? It's Will Washington. It's not Will Wheaton. All right. I'm not shitting in his post toasties. I don't know him. I've never met him. Don't have it. I don't know what to think. But just on the surface of it, it is another example of Tony needing help from people who know what the fuck that they're doing and what wrestling is because they've done it before. And instead, he hires people to help him that have never done any of the things that they are supposed to be doing and have never legitimately worked in the wrestling business ever. Go ahead. Well, a few things. I don't want to just disqualify Will Wheaton, uh, Will Washington before he even started, or he just started his job. Again, I don't, I'm not too familiar with him. Let's start with the bigger thing first, and then we can go through a few other things. Tony Khan's admitting he needs help. This is a good thing. Whether this is the person you would pick or someone else would pick, the idea that Tony is saying, I need help, things are getting a little out of hand. It's something. It's something. And I think if Tony's acknowledging any of the problems, that's a good thing. Will Will Washington be someone who can go in there and say, Tony, this is bad, don't do it? Will Tony be able to get Tony not to say yes? Or will Will be able to get Tony to not say yes to a Jericho or a Moxley? Will Will love Tony. It sounds like a romantic comedy series. He's been respectful of Tony, obviously, during the press conferences and everything, and Tony's now hired him. The question will be, for someone to be in that job, which is a mix of correcting Tony and trying to get Tony on the right path. And cleaning up after Tony. Will someone who's going from working for a wrestling media outlet, I assume he's making a lot more money now working for AEW, will he be able to tell Tony, and it happens often, when he's wrong, that he's wrong? The person in that job, beyond being able to rewrite TV or anything, they need to be able to stop Tony from his worst instincts. Do you agree? 
Yes, they need to be able to to jerk a knot in his tail, as Mama Cornette would say, and bring him under control and say, this doesn't make sense, and why are you doing these things? And here, we've got a talent over here. You need to push him, leave the other guy off, whatever the case. But again, besides the people that we know have input with Tony because of their own self-serving interests, does Tony... Does Tony listen to anybody or is the problem that Tony listens to too many different people? And that's why that nothing makes sense because either Tony's just off in the woods or Tony is trying to do everything everybody wants to do. Or is the problem that he won't listen to someone if they say something he doesn't want to hear? If someone went in there, and again, I don't know Will Washington, so I don't know where he comes from in terms of what he uh, is into wrestling-wise. If someone went in there in that role and said, Tony, too much Orange Cassidy. I get you like him. We'll find a place on a card for him. You should definitely use him. You're starting off every show with him. You're pushing him down people's throats. People aren't into him the way you are and the way the most, the way the most devoted fans in the bubble are. Because that's the thing. If these things that we've talked about forever now on the show, but even specifically the week that we just reviewed, if these things aren't the things that are getting fixed, if it's just someone helping Tony keep track of who was on the show last week that needs to be on the show again this week, or what well, angle th- we thought, need to follow thought, up on. I thought he had that uh, knocked out of the park when he changed his columns from up and down to side to side. Did you see the columns? They were on TV the other day because everyone sent me the screen caps on an all-access show. I guess he was either showing Sammy Guevara his book or he had his book out, and you get to actually see the columns. I fortunately missed that. Again, you don't know Will Washington, I don't, but the concept of someone who was a fan and became a podcaster getting a job like this you don't like that idea. Who is out there that well, would be it's, it's good not in that, that job? I, it's not that I don't like the idea. It's that, again, there has to be some middle ground between Little League and the fucking Major League Baseball. There has to be some middle ground between a pickup basketball game on a playground and the NBA. And you don't just start doing something on a national television program at this level with this much money on the line when you've never done anything anywhere. That's what I'm talking about. But who do you put in there? Who's left that's done this somewhere that's actually got something left in the tank or that's good at it or that can work with Tony? Well, and therein lies the problem. But it does it matter even if there are those people there if nobody listens to them because people like Jungle Asshole and the rest of them don't take criticism and advice because that would mean that they don't know what the fuck they're doing no one should listen to him except tony he should i mean quite frankly if someone's in that role if someone's in a role where they're helping tony make things better why do they need to interact with the wrestlers they interact with their boss tony and he deals with no well oh jesus christ in a perfect world yeah because then you've still got tony delivering the fucking message and as we can see with his word salads He's not exactly the greatest communicator. You need somebody to explain. When when I would give a finish, I wouldn't just say, okay, you do this move and you do that move and then you do that move and the referee will count three. You give the finish, you're giving not only the, the nuts and bolts of the movements, but you're also giving the attitude and the emotion or the passion or the demeanor, as Finkel would say, or whatever that each person should have. And you're also... The timing and explaining how to milk something. And uh, that comes from experience. If 
A movie director does not direct a $50 million big budget major studio fucking blockbuster before he's done home movies and film school, right? You don't just get some guy that's watched a ton of movies to walk on and direct. That's a, a experience of is, ne is necessary in that environment. Is all I'm just. Ah. No, I mean you're not wrong, but the problem becomes because and there then who been is that many promotions? Because, yeah. yeah, who is it? I don't know. I'd have to make a list of everybody active and breathing in and around the world of wrestling, and then say, well, you know what? Those three guys might actually know how to do this. See, shit. we have to see how this plays out. If Will Washington becomes another voice that won't tell Tony that the bad things are bad, won't stop Tony from doing the same things over and over again, will insist on things being fixed on the TV show, then it'll be all right. But when Tony, again, he's insistent that he's doing something special with Orange Cassidy. He's not. He's not, but he's insistent that he is. So you have to find someone who can break through Tony's own insistence. On this Will Washington news, Jim, Will Washington going to AEW, Dave Meltzer had some interesting oh comments that a lot of the listeners have been sending in. Have you been following this? I, unfortunately, it's not my week to listen to Uncle Dave, so I haven't been following this, but is, is I was, I would assume he's for Tony getting some help, taking some of the burden off of his already burdened uh, psyche. Well, we'll go to some audio in a second, and it will be an interesting throwback to something we've talked about in the past on the show, but let me read you what he wrote in The Observer. Will Washington, a reporter for Fightful who just announced he was leaving that site last week, started here this past week in AEW. Tony Khan said his new job is wrestling administration coordinator, and he'll work on all the things we said before. Khan says he has a great wrestling mind. People who have heard him on podcasts have said that he comes across well. He's been very professional as a reporter at the press conferences. I have been around him, and he was very nice but I've never had a long conversation with him. He also has background knowledge in MMA and boxing. Someone close to the situation who knows him, excuse me, who knows him well, told me that he's had Khan's eye for quite a while. And, ah. he's, and he's a longtime message board guy. Oh, there you go. Tape trader type guy and was described as being like a strong observer reader. I don't know if he subscribes or not, but that was the description. Who has a very strong memory of dates and things in wrestling, similar to Khan. If Dave so, doesn't so know who his subscribers are, how's... Well, I was about to say, if Dave, is Dave trying to say, well, he must be a genius because he reads my publication. He was described as being like a strong observer reader. What does that mean? He's like a strong observer reader. Strong observer reader. That means he knows all the words and he can figure out the ones that Dave misspells and glosses over. But so Uncle Dave is not uh, not giving this guy the side eye just yet. He's he's saying, wait and see what happens. Well, let me play you some audio here. This is from Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez discussing this big news. Let's go to this. A.W. NASA Will Washington has been hired. Do you know Will? Uh, I've seen him at the shows, but I wouldn't yeah. say that I... No yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Will. So I mean, it's like, um, I mean, I, I, I met him, but I don't. I mean, I don't know him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've seen people say that there's a really good hire. So that's, you know, I mean, he's got a, a, a variety of different uh, jobs. Um, what is the? Uh, I didn't bring my. 
but you know it's going to be um, <laughs> you know what uh, would you have the, 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 the list of the things he's that he's that I do not have in front of him, but he's <laughs> doing a lot of different things okay actually including helping I'm, with I'm, uh, writing apparently yeah yeah well I mean good for him and hopefully uh, hopefully it all works out I mean I would have liked to have seen John Muse in that position but oh uh, my I god know, I know John and I know that John is really really pretty brilliant when it comes to booking because after many shows from WWE and, and AEW I'll get my little notes from uh, John on what he would do from here and what, what he would make and his analysis of the shows, and, and he's excellent at that. But, um, you know, so I would have liked to have seen him. But as far as, like, Will, um, I mean, it's it's good. I'd rather have in some way, you know, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say because I've, I've, never, I've never heard. But I, I do like the idea of somebody new... Let me pause is, this. Is he is he out beside the interstate? I don't know where that came from in the audio there, but what do you think about the idea that, yeah, good for Will, I really don't know him, but John Muse should have gotten his job. Well, remember, we were laughing about, and we don't have anything against John Muse. John Muse is a longtime fan from, I believe he's up in Michigan, right? I believe I've spoken to him back 30 years ago or whatever, but he's my age or older, and Dave keeps saying, well, now, John Muse, why would he even want to do something like this at, at his age? But it, again, someone who has never, ever legitimately actually worked in the wrestling industry, but suddenly, oh, this multi-million dollar company, let's let everybody who's read about wrestling. Yeah, because he sends me notes I agree with. He sends me notes I agree <laughs> with, so he's really smart. What? I don't oh. understand. I do you not know what? understand. This is the story to follow, is the Dave Meltzer-Tony Khan feud. Because make no mistake, Dave's demeanor in this thing and then jumping right to the John Muse story, that's what this is. Dave openly was campaigning for John Muse to get this job. Some people think John Muse has been auditioning on Dave's message board trying to get the job from Tony. But Dave has pushed John Muse for this job. Tony went the other way. Now we're going to have to see how Dave reacts because Dave is very much into, <sighs> I told you so, I told you so, and it's not going to be his guy. So, interesting. What you, any final thoughts on Dave's reaction to Tony hiring someone? Yes, I think that Will Washington will be much better than John Muse on Star Trek Next Generation. All right, before any more frivolity goes on of the nature of which we have been engaging in, what in the wide, wide world of sports, Brian, is going on in the Arcadian Vanguard Network family of programs and the wrestling news this week. I don't know how much frivolity is going on here, but there'll be plenty of it this week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news every day, your free daily wrestling newscast. Every morning delivered right to you. Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com, or subscribe today wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Just look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. Want to make mention of this week's episode of Stick the Wrestling with John McAdam. It is a look at 1983 with his special guest, Bret Hart's best friend, John Fell in Baltimore. Hear this today at McAdamPod.com or look for Stick the Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership! 
Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership. I wish you had been here to do that right before I watched SmackDown, so at least I wouldn't have had to hear it as well as see it. Although nothing really stuck with you, besides the crowd. It is the stuff on the program, kind of like, eh, but the crowd was great, and the building was great. Was that, um, the, was that the transition into the SmackDown review? Well, yes. Yes, wow. it was. Well, yes. you've, never, you've never done it just right out of that like that. Well, because I'm I'm wanting to get going. <laughs> the sooner we get going, the sooner we'll get there. Uh, did you like the drone shot, Brian, that they did? Did you see the opening drone yeah, shot? That was incredible. And they also did it, of course, the next night at the pay-per-view. Is that something that's exclusive, not exclusive, but something that that building regularly does for big events? Or is this something that WWE is going to start doing at all their different venues? I don't, well, it's really cool. Really, really cool. I would have to think that for the first time doing it there, somebody came up with the idea. Maybe there was somebody there that was a a master manipulator of the drones. Um, But I think it was the same shot the second night though, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh, was it? I didn't even notice. I thought it was well, they took, they took the exact same route. And I guess there's not oh. many places, different ways they could get in there with that yeah. thing. But there's it only was so much airspace to get in. There. Yes. You know, and then they had to call NASA and the whole nine yards. But um, if, if for the people who don't know what we're talking about, they did a drone shot where they started out in front of the arena and then they it climbed the stairs, went in the front door, passed the ticketing facilities and foosh and all the way through into the arena and boy it was impressive but the thing that i liked about not only this smackdown episode but then the following night's backlash is because it looked like a wrestling show again instead of the set of a giant i don't know nickelodeon obstacle course fucking show or something that they built for television you know what with the small interest because they had 17, 18,000 people, whatever, in the building. So they made a small entranceway. You still couldn't get to the guys and clock them in the side of the head. They had, you know, the the walkway to the ring, but they didn't have half the arena taken up by this massive set and all the screens and bullshit. And it looked like a wrestling show again. It looked great. And, you and know, they were able to have the screens there and it was placed in a different kind of way and it worked fine. No one needs that stage. Yeah, it it just, well, they do domestically or in the contiguous uh, United States when they don't fill up the fucking building. Well, that's true. But since these people were there and they wanted to see all that shit, it was great. It looked like a wrestling show because people were up close and it was a full building without a lot of gaga. So I like that part. Um, the, the first segment on SmackDown, and this was the one obviously March 5th because Backlash was March 6th. Ray Mysterio and the LWO come out, and obviously they're massively over. And they do a promo, and it again, Ray Mysterio was killing it because the people were popping like crazy, like it was fucking Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor or somebody in there, but it was all in Spanish, so I have no fucking clue. Basically, Ray did the promo, and Zelina was going to talk, but then the Judgment Day came out and had the face off. And every time Dominic tried to talk, that was, again, that's another story. They really picked up on it. It's, it's 
feeding itself on television when the people are booing Dom out of the building every time he tries to speak. It's happening and in house shows too. Well, yeah, because they see it on TV. And now, so it's it's feeding on itself, and now it's like a fun thing to do, like singing that interminable, oh, 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 oh or whatever Rollins's tune is. Did you know but Chris, anyway, Chris Jericho invented fan singing? I've, I heard that. It, they were trying to drown his records out, from what I understand, <laughs> at the top of their lungs. But anyway, like I said, this, it, it was mostly in Spanish, so I can't, but it sounded... Like the people were loving it. The and crowd then, reaction was the story, really. Yeah. For us that really didn't even understand what they were saying, you could tell just the energy that crowd made it so that you could watch. And then basically, uh, Rhea challenged Ray Mysterio. Said, instead of Ray and Dom, how about me? But then Zelina got in her face. And then Dominic made a challenge kind of for a mixed tag. What about both? It was kind of, it was implied. And then Rhea said, okay. And then the announcers said, well, maybe Adam Pierce will make that. And then Dominic, they, the heels start to leave the ring and Dominic doubles back real quick and slaps Ray in the face and then fucking slides out like a little shit, shit disturber. He's great. He's become great. We'll see how it works as he gets older. But right now, at his age, the way he's behaving, the reaction he's getting, he's perfect in his role. He's the Hispanic Buddy Landell in Mid-South Wrestling. <laughs> Anyway, so that was a high point on the program, and but now we got to come back to reality. So Gallows and Anderson are back. The OC, does anybody understand what the OC is? The original club? Orange at, County. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what you would think in, in, if you see those initials or hear that. Couldn't they have used the time that they were away or... They've been offering whatever to come up with a, a new, fresh gimmick, a good look, coat of paint on these guys. So Coat of paint. Well, you know what I'm saying? Something, How about the invisible tag team? And we don't see Oh, them. come on. No, they, they're not good. <clears throat> hey, they're, they're not as crummy as some we have to look at if they just get a new, a new, a new coat, coat of, of paint. paint. They've had so many coats of paint. I'm talking about drop the OC and... Another tag team name, and maybe, I don't know, just another name. Well, they were the Good Brothers, but I guess they can't use that in WWE because WWE doesn't own it. Well, besides that, it, the Good Brothers, unless their name was fucking Rene Moxley Good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, unless their name was Good. Yeah, why is it not Moxley's team, the Good Brothers? <laughs> but but it, it, that's the thing is, unless their name was actually, their last name was Good, the Good Brothers, then the Good Brothers doesn't really sound like a fearsome fucking giant heel tag team. Anyway, they wrestled the Vikings with Valhalla, and they went 90 seconds to the break, and son of a gun, I forgot to watch the rest of it. AJ on commentary. That may be why I forgot to watch the rest of it. <laughs> um, so then they explained the, and we're just going to skip through this and get to backlash, because I know everybody's waiting. Um, they explained the tournament that they're having on Raw and SmackDown. We've talked about that earlier in the program, but they didn't mention two triple threats in a single. They just mentioned the tournament beginning, and it's basically going to happen on Raw and SmackDown in the finals on May 27th. So they're getting a five-day period out of this tournament with the finals on the show in Saudi Arabia. And then here came Bianca, 
And she skipped and twirled and smiled and did an in-ring promo. She's even happier, I think, than Liv and Raquel. There's so much happiness until Bailey and Kai and Sky showed up. And you'll never guess what happened. Well, Brian, I know you know, but for the people who didn't have to watch this thing, all three of the heels beat up Bianca until music played and Liv and Raquel came out and then they beat the heels up and ran them off. I've never seen anything like that before. You know what? On this night, it's all excusable. Anything that happened got a major pop. The simplest things got huge pops. I'm all for it. Yeah, well, they, again, virgin crowd is what they used to call it. When you'd open up a new town that had been dark for a while. I think they said the next night at Backlash, it was the first, well, did they use the term premium live? The first big show in 18 years yeah. in uh, in Puerto Rico. It's so. interesting, though, just in the last few months between this and the Montreal show with Sammy, because, again, it wasn't just that match. That crowd was on fire the whole night. We're seeing some real interesting local flavor, I guess, for the first time in a long time on WWE programming when it comes to these shows where every show looks the same. They're not all looking the same and feeling the same right now. Yeah, and they they can't get around it that if they go to Puerto Rico, the, the natives of the island on the roster are going to be over like crazy. Same thing in Montreal. So at least instead of ignoring it, they have played up to it and tried to make something out of it. And it's obviously working. But anyway, uh, cross and Scarlet, are you, are these promos just tickling you at all? No, actually I, uh, I kind of don't like it. <laughs> They're trying to act so spooky and he's trying to be so dramatic with his delivery and he's trying to make mean faces and with that fuzzy little head of hair, it, it you know, but, all, but there's nothing being said here. It's like the, the house of black the, that they think that they're so spooky and they write this stuff for themselves. Well, he's got cross has somebody else writing it for him, but it still doesn't make any sense. And, of course, we're we're teasing the Usos and Solo having heat with each other. We'll get to that later on. Did you, did you love that, God, I don't know, was it 30, 45-minute classic between the Street Sweepers and Marcel Marceau and Leonardo da Vinci of Imperium? I did skip this match, and I started thinking about it, because I love tag team wrestling. And the Street <laughs> Profits are pretty good. Like, well, all things considered, for the modern times, they're okay. The guys in Imperium, same thing. So I'm like, why do I have no desire to watch this match? It's because well, it, of the way tag teams are used there. Yeah. It's because the division itself is a joke. Everyone acts like children. This is the same division, I guess, of, as you call them, Shushboy and Otis doing their comedy skits. The same division of the Vikings and all these things. So I didn't watch this match, and I kind of feel bad about it, but... Well, you shouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Oh, okay. Because it didn't last two minutes, bell to bell. Really? <laughs> they beat them. The Imperium guys, they started an immediate four-way. They did as many spots as they could do. And about two minutes later, Street Sweepers won, and that was it. They didn't even go to a break. So thank you all for coming. And that's their debut on SmackDown and Imperium's last match on SmackDown. Well, they, they could have uh, at least made it a little bit more memorable. I know who who's supposed to be doing the job, but my God, it just—they still got beat on national television in two minutes, like a couple of flunkies. Anyway, 
The top of the nine o'clock hour by Cracky doesn't disappoint in WWE land. Uh, the Cody and Brock history package and the Cody live in ring promo. And the people love him. They wanted to see that entrance. This is supposedly his last time on SmackDown before he goes to Raw, where he will then be probably one of the people competing against SmackDown talent for a fucking title that's supposed to be exclusive to Raw, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I think he said, what do you guys want to talk about in Spanish? Is that the impression you got? See. Si. Well, thank you. Have you ever met my sister? Sue? Sue? Si. She sews. Anyway. <laughs> so we did the... Uh, we did. He did the promo on Brock. Oh, so you've been helping Cody. I understand that. Well, I've been feeding him some things. We've been workshopping a little bit. Uh, but he put Brock over as the guy, but then he was, uh, Brock was the gatekeeper. He was, you know, trying to keep his spot because now he sees that Cody, the new guy's coming along. And that's why, you know, Brock picked a fight with him and never explained why, but Cody wound himself up and it was a dusty go home promo. And he's talking about beating the hell and an explanation out of Brock Lesnar tomorrow night. And he, I wrote at this point, he pretty much promised to beat Brock and he fucking better. And, but this was, this was the dusty promo. He was firing him up. It's Puerto Rico. They've got a great wrestling history anyway. And they like to see the emotion from the baby faces. That's why, I mean, Carlos Colon was not, Riggy Steamboat in the ring, but he had emotion and pan that fire and that all the baby faces in Puerto Rico that have ever been over had fire. That's what they like. So what'd you think here? Really good promo, fantastic end to the promo, fantastic energy. You know, in AEW, Cody tended to at times do kind of what he did for a few moments here. Every promo Cody does here, I always have a few seconds of being worried. Because he starts talking in such a practiced way. And he starts saying things that normal people wouldn't say in ways normal people... Like, just, there's some of that. But in AEW, it's kind of like he wouldn't switch off that gear. Here, you get that, and then it gets to the shit. Yeah. And by the end of this thing, he was so fired up that I was fired up. <laughs> Fantastic end to this promo, really good promo, and uh, everyone ate it up there in the house. Well, then, in that case, I know you're a big fan of Shaky Nakamura. Did the house watch Shaky Nakamura against Karrion Cross? The house? Who? What? The, your, your house. My the house? house? Yeah, you said they loved it in the house. I thought you meant your house. I oh, watched, you mean the arena. I meant the arena, but uh, in this house... <laughs> In this house, I did watch the Nakamura match. Okay, and I did too. Because you know what? The crowd, again, I kind of wanted to watch more of the show as opposed to less of the show because of the crowd. And then that that was part of it. But also, you know, I've been less than thrilled with Cross on the promos and et cetera. And they, didn't they beat him several times, fairly quick succession and just kind of blah, but I thought, let's see what's going on. And Nakamura, let's see what's going on. Let's give it a chance. So they started out, they went to the floor 
cross power bombed him into the post and they went to a break in one minute. Uh, okay, so let's let's go to the second half on the other side of the break. And I'll say, well, let's just start there and see what I think of them. And son of a gun, they did end up giving them about four or five minutes when they came back. But I mean, when Cross was getting the heat on Nakamura after about 30 seconds, they came back from the break. Nakamura came back with the kicks, no big bumps by the heel. No, Nakamura kind of makes lazy covers. And then to stop the comeback, it was Scarlett gets up on the apron and Nakamura walks over to her, just stares at her for a second like he's hypnotized and then turns around and cross catches him with a suplex two count. They went back and forth, some more false finishes. And then finally, Cross hit a belly to back on him, got a two count. And then Nakamura pretty much just jumped up and hit two kicks and a knee, one, two, three. I don't see, there was nothing rotten about either one of these guys i'm not seeing except for as you said the crowd was eating up people bending over and farting i don't see anything rotten i didn't see anything special here what about you i enjoyed it for what it was again the crowd was going ape shit they went nuts at the finish like it was a big match <laughs> and i like nakamura or at least traditionally i have and i want to give him a new <laughs> i'm trying now that he's come back i'm trying to give him another fresh look again it hit me watching this. You know, I used to watch him in New Japan, and when he came over to NXT, he got his new music. Fans would sing his music. He'd be out there dancing along with them. Is Rollins the Americanized Nakamura? <laughs> you know how, like, shows in England would be hits, and then, like, Norman Lear would be like, all right, I'm going to adapt it yeah. here to the all, States. All in the family. Sanford and Son. Yeah, I mean, a lot the of different Skepto shows. and Son. Do you think that's what it is? Because I was watching, I was just thinking, I'm watching him dance to the ring. I'm like, man. That was, might be the flashy outfits and the over-the-top, you know, presentation. And everyone's singing his music. Oh, I'm like, well, I've heard this before. Where, who and instead of having what looks like, I don't know, musculature seizures like Nakamura, he just does the dancing and the twirling and gesticulating. That's right. <sighs> well, it, you know, and we got a match next week on SmackDown. You got to look out for Baron Corbin and Cameron Grimes. Corbin and Grimes were in the back doing really bad scripted shit that nobody would ever say really. Grimes' debut on this show. Yes. He shows up just, hey, thanks for the op. I'm glad to be here, Adam Pierce. And then Corbin's like, well, who are you? <laughs> so... Big things in Cameron Grimes' future with a debut like that, but at least he'll beat Baron Corbin. He's the one on the roster that hadn't beaten Baron Corbin yet. Guy used to be dressed like a roadie for Leonard Skinner. He comes out there looking like he's trying to impress your daughter or something. And the problem is, the more hair they take off Cameron Grimes, the more interest they take off of him. But anyway, it's time now for our SmackDown main event. Now that the Bloodline story has cooled off somewhat uh, they're actually having matches for the main event these days but it was Rey Mysterio and Zelina Vega in a mixed tag against Rhea Ripley and Dominic and again with that crowd and these people this was going to be fucking good and you could you got the tease of Zelina and Rhea for the title match the following day the crowd loves Zelina and 
Ray and Dominic did some nice stuff. And then finally Rhea stops Zelina. Of course, they still have to go to break in two minutes, even on something like this. But when they came back, they got a ton of heat on Zelina. And then she, you know, managed to chin buster and drop down and evade and move out of the way so that Rhea, who takes that incredible shoulder through the buckle to the post like a guy, again, is beautiful. And then finally they set up with that, they set up the hot tag for Zelina to tag Ray and boy were the fans with that including every time somebody went to do 10 punches or every time the referee would count one two they were counting in spanish obviously but it was it was funny especially on the punches but what you heard also you're old enough to remember this brian and anybody can see it on the old video on youtube or whatever remember when the baby face would get the tag or even in a single match when the baby face would start making a comeback and punch the heel, the people would go, Ooh, 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 with every punch. And that it was happening here to some extent. It, I haven't heard that in so many years. Uh, but anyway, they went back and forth. They had a nice finishing sequence. Boom, boom, boom. But finally, Dominic goes for the three amigos which was starting to get big heat, but after the second Amigo, Ray trapped Dom's legs and pinned him one, two, three, got a big pop. And in a, of course, as soon as that, there has to be heat after. The heels get on Ray, Ray fights back, here comes Damian Priest in, now they're mugging Ray, and then they play the music, and here comes Bugs Bunny and the LWO, and the babies go in the air, and... The wrestlers all hit the ring and wipe the heels out while Bugs and Priest face off with each other. But then Dominic tries to run at Bugs and Bugs hits him with the kendo stick instead and Priest bails out. So just a little tease, but that was enough for these people. I don't know whether, you know, the they couldn't have done a little bit more for the television audience uh, with, I think, I guess they didn't want Bugs to actually crack priest just yet you know wait till the pay-per-view but nevertheless that that was a good out of this two-hour program what this was a good 12 minutes of action and entertainment yeah i liked it bad bunny super over he's done really well with everything they've done with him treats everything respectful so i've really liked his involvement with this all things considered i'm not really digging the whole lwo thing i know maybe the only one but of I course, like this there's, there's so many of them. The babyface group tends to outnumber the heel group. Here's the thing about the LWO right now. Rey Mysterio, Zelina Vega, even Santos Escobar. That's one thing. The other two guys have not been, like, defined in any way, other than, like, they're Escobar's friends who yes. used to wear suits with them. Like, that's the thing. It just feels like there's two extra guys. They're throwing punches with everyone. They're doing stuff with everyone. What are their names? <laughs> like, that's the thing. I think for the LWO to mean anything now, like they have to do a little bit more to establish who those other guys are as opposed to just two other guys in the pack. Said the problem is, when you look at it, the WWE is full of two guys that are in the pack. 
uh, Gunther has two guys in his pack. Escobar has two guys in his pack. Fucking, it, it, but Escobar's guys the, don't get it, actually time the Usos that. were two guys in Roman's pack. And I would so, argue so, every one of those examples you gave, you're right, but they all have gotten either mic time or have been better used and defined on that show than Escobar's friends. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with I'm that, trying to think of their names. I can't remember their names. I keep calling them his um, friends. I don't know their names. God damn it, for real, I, I can't either. It's the um, one that used to be, what was it, DJ? Joaquin. Zima Ion. Joaquin Wild. Looks like Max Ready? Castor. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's his name now, though. Um, but the, the point is, I agree with you that the other guys have been used better, but still it would, it, it comes down to, that's why a lot of the tag team and tag teams and tag division is not taken seriously because these guys are generally in the hunt, but when they face a top singles star, they get, you know, wiped out two again, one against two. And it, it just, there's no parity of talent level and then the vikings they get beaten like two minutes every time they go out there and they're fucking 500 pounds a piece or whatever well that's what i'm saying about the tag team division what i was saying earlier how are you supposed to take it seriously the vikings are in it they never win a match like sometimes they just appear in the middle of a match to run in or something you're like oh man like what why now there's too much <laughs> of that you need serious tag teams for a serious tag team division well that was smackdown what an exciting event it was to go home show for Backlash. Do you hear the sarcasm in my voice at this point? I hear your sarcasm. I'll let Sergeant McCoy know. All right. We'll note that down on my, on my record so he can put it in the file. Um, but I'll tell you what, Backlash was not, not only I didn't think bad, not as, as, as even some of the things I thought might be bad, we're not as bad as I feared they might be. And part of it, again, the great crowd, the jam-packed, you know, arena, the small entranceway, the no big screen, so the people are up on the shit. It looked like a wrestling show. Go back. I think they used the same drone shot both nights. Somebody's got to go back and compare. Either that or that guy, whoever's driving the thing, flying the thing. Drone operator. Drone operator. Drone operator A and drone operator B in the credits. But anyway, um, they're really good. They've got the same path, the same flight path, or elsewise they just use the same shot, but I liked it. And for a different look when they're in Puerto Rico, and let you know, you mentioned earlier when they were in Montreal, even though Montreal still looks like regular arena, they had a flavorful crowd. And, you know, I, I, I'm loving the idea of more WWE shows looking different, for fuck's sake. Instead of they're all, it, you can't tell where they are except when they mention it for the graphic. And I like what you said earlier, beyond WrestleMania, which is a different thing, you know, in their eyes, let alone everyone else's eyes, for big events, get rid of the big screen, get rid of the big stage. If you have a sellout, use it. If you have a hot crowd, use it. If you think you're going to have a hot crowd, use it. Yeah. Have some th screens there. They had some, but nothing that gets in the way. And I miss that. I miss, I mean, my whole childhood, even just watching WWF TV, was guys walking through the arena to the ring. And that's completely gone now. It's a ramp that yeah. basically ends at the ring. 
course, now, to be very honest with you, I spend a lot of my nights walking through arenas that, that was too close and too tight, and they had too much opportunity to get at you. I'm not advocating going back to a three-foot-wide aisleway with a fucking clothesline, but... No, but there is security now yeah. and barricades. Yes, and all that type of thing. Anyway, so the first match on Backlash was Bianca Belair and EO Sky. And you'll never guess who won, Brian. Did you watch the match? Are you kidding? I emailed you as soon as the match ended to make sure you watched this match. As soon as it ended, because I didn't want any excuses, I said, watch this match, the opening match, because I know you would normally skip it. Well, but here's what happened. I got up Sunday morning at 8, at, well, I was up before 8 o'clock, but I got up Sunday morning early enough to start watching this show at 8 a.m., and that could not be, at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, the first thing that I saw. Oh, come on. That was the best match on the show. What? Wait, what? What do you mean, wait, what? That match that was, was the best than match. Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes. That match but that was, was a different. Than- that was a different animal altogether. The well, crowd, well, the crowd was hotter for this match than Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes. The crowd was part of the story. The crowd was super hot, and both of these women, and are you you're saying you're, that they just tired? Well, maybe Bugs Bunny and Damian Priest Bunny, might have worn the crowd out. What I'm but, saying uh, is this match was really good, excellent, I would say, and both women were great here, and the crowd <sighs> elevated them and elevated the match, and it was worthy of your time, and I think you probably, if you watched it fairly, you probably would have said, that was a really, really good opening match. All right, I'll tell you what. How about, since it's on the Peacock Network, that I will make, here, I'm making myself a note oh, right you're, now. You're, you're going to go into this looking to hate it. That's the problem. No, I'm not. Yes, I will watch this, you're a and mean we will old talk man. about Everyone it on the drive through Everyone knows you're no, mean. Well, I will watch it, and I'll watch it in in the afternoon <laughs> when I'm. Is that your wrestling time when you're in the best wrestling? Well, mood? no. When I'm when I'm in a when I'm in a mood, not first thing in the morning, start the day off wrong, and I'll watch. But I'm not the last thing in the evening where I'm grumpy. I'll watch it in mid afternoon, and we'll we'll talk about it on the drive through if it means that much to you. It's not that it means that much to me. It's that it was an excellent match. That I would have loved, I would have loved. You're telling me that this was better than Ripley and Vega. I really liked Ripley and Vega, and there was a lot of emotion there that you can't replicate in anything else. I think this was a better match than Ripley versus Vega. This was a really good back and forth match. And Bianca continues to impress me. I thought Io was great here. And there was no silliness. And... I would like you to give okay. it a fair shot, but I'm afraid I'm you're going to be like, I watch it, and as soon as I started watching, Bianca twirled her hair, so I fast-forwarded. And then I, I came wa- back, and EO pointed the wrong way, so I decided to fast-forward again. I will watch the goddamn match. Get back with you on your show. How's that? I was getting to the finish, but I had gas, so I turned it off. And that's my Well, that's that sometimes that happens, whether it be <laughs> men or women. And speaking of men... Uh, basically, Rey Mysterio and and Bugs Bunny were speaking Spanish again to each other as he prepares for his contest, and Savio Vega steps, this is backstage, 
and Savio Vega steps in, and the pop was massive. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. On, from the people when they saw him on the screen. Yeah. And again, a lot of people are thinking, Savio Vega, well, that was the WWF Savio Vega, but Savio in Puerto Rico as TNT and as himself and as a top guy is, you know, they went crazy for him. One of the most underrated guys of the WWF of the mid to late 90s was Savio Vega. And yes, his matches with Steve Austin were the first things that made Steve Austin stand out in the WWF. And, it, and he was he over and he was really good. Yeah, he was really good in the ring. Him and Razor Ramon were together yeah. a little bit. And I thought TNT was a tremendous gimmick, too. It was like a martial arts secret agent kind of thing. Remember in late <laughs> 80s Puerto Rico? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, all of this was in Spanish. So, But Bugs has a kendo stick from Savio. And then here's what I thought was going to be just grisly to watch was Seth Franklin Rollins against Almost. And I got to be honest, this was better than, it certainly was better than I thought it was going to be. Is Almost getting better, but then again, is it too late now that everybody and their brother have beaten him and you can't do an Andre anymore? The, this is a rhetorical question, I uh, suppose. You know, I mean, without spoiling the match, even though, I mean, that's what, the nature of this review is <laughs> Rollins beat him, but Rollins didn't just beat him. Rollins had to have this guy kick out of the finish twice and had to hit a supersized version of it to beat yeah, him. Yeah, but, but but I know, but still, what I'm saying is they didn't, when Andre was first unveiled on the United States public, he was fully formed pretty much. It wasn't like yeah. you saw him come in as a clunky klutz and and then people beat him and then they never did the thing with andre boy he's getting better it's harder and harder to beat him that was never done no the hogan match in 87 more than likely for 99 percent of the wrestling audience was the first time they ever saw andre the giant lose yeah so because of that it has has almost gets better and he's he's passed almost ready and he's ready he can't be undefeated anymore. I mean, you've still got a giant, but gosh, it's just, it seems like they've, they've jobbed him numerous times in high profile situations. And that's, you know, what else, but anyway, nevertheless, he's getting attitude. He's being able to work the people, uh, the crowd, which would not stop singing was, was into this. You know, he pretty much manhandled Seth through most of this, and they were creative in terms of, you know, how Seth could come back or do whatever and, and almost never took a bump. And then finally, like, Seth hits a dive and he doesn't go down, and he tries a second one, but he catches Seth with a choke slam and pressed him back in over the top rope from the floor. And they went back and forth as best they could you know, with a guy that's that's that size, but they got some decent false finishes out of it. A foiled curb stomp by Seth led to a choke slam and a two count, and Seth then went to the try the sleeper to see if he could put him to sleep, and he could get him down to a knee, but then, you know, almost break it up. And then finally, they missed one 
shot, I think, to the point where the announcers didn't even realize it happened. But when they had done something, MVP jumped up on the apron of the ring to draw the referee, but he had slid the cane in. And the announcers never saw it, and you really didn't see a camera shot of it until Seth hit the curb stomp as almost was trying to get the cane or had the cane or whatever, and it flew out of the ring. And then another curb stomp for a two count, and then he went to the top rope, and it took a while, but it was kind of, it worked here in that he was milking it. Boy, if he hits this one from the top, and then he hit that one from the top, boom, one, two, three. So it, it, it wasn't a bad match at all. The finish may have dragged just a bit, but with a guy that big, you know, you're, you're at a little bit of a slower pace. So I was pleasantly surprised, at least. I thought this was good. It was smartly done, considering the limitations of Omos, and Franklin's great in the ring. You can never take that away from him. I thought yeah. he was really, really good in there with Omos. Good match. I mean, to your point, it's a good victory for Seth Rollins and whatever they're going to do with that character. Almost every match I remember, almost, almost every match <laughs> I remember almost in, he's lost. Yeah. I mean, you said that before. I mean, Andre, we never saw him lose. Other than a like squash match on Raw, I can't remember the last time almost won. What main eventer or mid-card guy is almost beat? I do not know. I've seen him pin several times. I don't think I've seen him beat anyone. That was, again, not a, you know, here's the jobber of the week on Raw. I think they just wanted to use him before he was ready. And now they're paying the price for that because they, they put him in a position where he was, especially what, a year or two ago, was bled to the point where you couldn't really go any time with him and you didn't want to sacrifice a big name to a guy that you couldn't really put in for any amount of time. But, but now as a result, you know, he's getting better, but he's got a bad reputation. And they said he was seven foot three. If Andre was said to be seven foot four, say this guy's eight feet tall, because I'd believe it. <laughs> I would believe it. But they, that's a Vince. Nobody can ever be taller than Andre. I bet you. I bet that is a, a directive that still stands to this day. I bet that's the reason why he's seven feet three and 403 pounds instead of 424. Anyway. Uh, the next match on the agenda was for the United States title, and we were in Puerto Rico, so that still counts. But it was the triple threat match, and I made no secret that I wasn't really looking forward to this, to be honest with you. You remember that, because I like all three of these people, but I can't stand these three-way matches. And, you know, having said that, there wasn't there there were no embarrassing fuck-ups or near-fatal, you know, miscues or any kind of unprofessional work. It's just you can't have a match like this for the most part. It's got to be all three guys doing moves to each other in turn or the heels joining up in a tenuous relationship to beat up the babyface and then fighting each other and or one guy laying out of the ring or hiding somewhere for an inordinate period of time. So uh, under those parameters, this wasn't bad and the crowd likes everybody. And again, 
every each individual talent in here has their strong points and theories of you know superstars we've talked about but you can't really critique it because they just did stuff to each other and then finally theory gets the heat because reed goes for a moonsault on lashley but lashley moved and when reed misses boom lashley spears him but then before he can cover theory comes from behind and shit cans Lashley out to the floor and grabs the pin on Bronson Reed, one, two, three, and hits a road. So he got the heat and retained the title, and it was a nicely done and timed finish. I'm not a three-way fan. Your thoughts? I agree with you. I'm not a three-way fan. That's why I'm so not excited about the uh, tournament starting for the world title. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to be, oh, Jesus. I'm a big theory fan. I like Bronson Reed, and he looks impressive. When you see, like, in highlight form, just a splash and different things. Yeah. Looks great. They beat him. Not sure why. They beat him all the time. But I um, I couldn't get too into this match. I'm not into three-way matches, and it just seems like they're adding more and more of them. It seems more lazy than necessary. I mean, you always say no DQ is lazy booking. I would argue that three-way matches is the ultimate lazy booking. Well, but now remember, three-way matches are no DQ, so it's all, yeah, but I, no, I get what you're saying. Not all three-way matches are no DQ. Aren't, aren't they in AEW? Actually, I, I think, I think I they are know. in WWE, too. You can't really apply this to AEW, I'm talking about WWE, because in AEW, well, it depends I, I on what I'm, referee is there, I'm I mean. I'm pretty goddamn sure that they are in AEW, and I'm fairly certain that they are in WWE. Have you seen somebody get disqualified in a triple threat match? I don't recall the last time that well, has happened. It, no. Well, let, let's let some of the facticians and statisticians in the audience let us know how lazy is the booking of the triple threat matches because I think that they conveniently always say no DQ on them as well. Why not, honestly, I think there are too many belts, but why not just create a belt? the three-way match <laughs> champion and just have that be its own thing away from the world title and the U S title and everything else. But it, it is lazy also because just three ways, four ways. It's just, how do we know, get these people on the show? I know how do we get these people on the show. How do we not have one guy do a job when the other guy can do it or whatever the case, it's just, it's an easy way out. And there's so many of them. They mean nothing. And speaking of many things that mean nothing, the titles mean nothing, the women's titles, because there's two of them, and the SmackDown champions going to Raw, and the Raw champions going to SmackDown. So they're going to have to do a lateral handoff at some point, I guess. It's so confusing. But Rhea Ripley wrestled Zelina Vega in her, on her home island. I don't know if that's the exact specific town. It's where her family comes from. Yes. And so she obviously got a huge pop as she did the previous night on SmackDown for being the hometown girl. Huge doesn't really describe it. I mean, well, yeah, these are monster pops and monster cheering sections on these shows. But again, also because of the tremendous wrestling legacy and, and tradition in Puerto Rico, these people are into it. And, you know, they, they, again, they love their baby faces. And Zelina, this was, I think, the best that I, I've seen her 
uh, and Rhea, even though she was wearing white, I'm not sure how I feel about Rhea Ripley in white now. That seems to be her big match outfit, right? Or a big match color, I guess I should say. I don't know, but I just, I don't know. I mean, she looks, she could look good in a potato sack. It hit me watching this. She wore white. The Usos wore white later on. Like the heels are now wearing white and the baby <laughs> faces wear black. Well, that's what Rhea ought to save the white for when she actually does turn baby face. And then that subtle. Hey, um, Zelina's family at ringside, they said her uncle yes. wrestled Bruno San Martino. Who is her uncle? I actually don't know this. I don't. It, I, it would have to be some guy probably that in the late 60s, early 70s that broke in to do jobs in the Northeast, one would think, because it would it would have had to been in the Northeast. That's where they did television when Bruno was working. And But I, I, I don't know whether he ever attained any enough of a name where anybody would even know it today, which is maybe why they didn't mention it. But it's entirely possible, and especially there wouldn't be any TV floating around late 60s, early 70s, where people would be putting on the them on the... Have you seen the Twitter tributes to job guys where they put up like their beauty shot with their name and graphic for like two seconds? I don't think that guy would be on those either. So what an incredible moment, though, of Zelina in the ring, you know, at the beginning and eventually at the end, but especially at the beginning, just the crowd reaction. And it would be almost impossible, I would think, for her not to be emotional in that moment. Her family's there. This place is just going nuts. It was quite the moment. One of the real special moments I think I've seen in quite a while, her reaction to that. And thankfully, the flip-flop spot was explained in an article on PWInsider.com the next morning, folks, if you want to check. But basically, Zelina goes out on the floor and gets a flip-flop from her mother and then throws it at Rhea Ripley and the place explodes like she's just hit her in the face with a fucking pie. And... Apparently, that is a traditional island thing down there that your mother will take, and I forget what the, uh, there's a Spanish name for the shoes, but will take one of them and, and spank you with it if you get out of line, and the mothers in Puerto Rico are noted for them shoes. So it got a huge pop, and everybody else is like, what the fuck's going on here? But that's why. And it again, this match, my God, they did big girl, little girl spots, just like I say, big guy, little guy spots. That's the way they built it. Selena is quick and resourceful and fast and smaller, and Rhea is overpowering, but is is not as fast and resourceful. And it worked. And Rhea, again, sells like a guy. The 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 staggering, the wobbly legs, the the facial expressions, little things. Or then when she's a heel and she loved healing the people here and she woman handled Zelina and roughed her up and, you know, really loved taunting the crowd and keeping the, the pace exactly right for the heat so that then Zelina could be all fiery on the comeback. It was very good, I thought. And Zelina made a comeback, hit a DDT, hit a 619. And hit that meteora that I my I wouldn't want to take. I've seen who else is it does the meteora? There's several of the ladies that do it. I forget. But nevertheless, I haven't seen one yet that I would either want to give or want to take. 
I don't know how that either doesn't destroy your knees or fucking potato the recipient. But it looked great. Two count. And then suddenly it was like Ripley said, okay, fuck it. I guess we got the emergency go home cue. Kicked her, grabbed her, hit her finish, the riptide boom, one, two, three. So that was a little abrupt. I was I was enjoying it. But otherwise than that, uh, I thought they did a great job here. And it's obvious that Zelina was not going to, you know, because she's in her hometown again, it does, the same thing with Sammy in Montreal. They're booking for the world. So Rhea had just beat Charlotte. They've got long-term plans for her. Zelina wasn't going to win this, but they presented her as, I think, as credibly as she could have hoped for, and she did a great job. If this had been AEW, Zelina would have kicked the shit out of Ripley for 20 minutes, and then Ripley would have won on a fluke, and it would kill the whole goddamn deal. What do you think? I thought this was a great match. I thought Zelina did great. Again, I talked about the emotion at the beginning, at the end. What do you do? You have the heel beat the hometown favorite. The heel leaves. You let the babyface get up and get that moment again at the end. And yeah, it really was a special moment. And it really it made you... It would be impossible, I think, to watch that and not root for Zelina Vega in that moment. <laughs> it was really, really cool. Yeah, but, and, and notice they brought the music down. After Rhea got out, they brought the music down and just... That was the people's cue to, okay, now we can show Zelina Gave her the moment. how much appreciation we have for what, you know, who she is, what she did. They wanted to pop and react for her, so they got the chance, even though she didn't win, which for the long term probably isn't the right thing. Right. I had a lot of comments about the AEW women's division earlier. This is where I see the opposite. Rhea Ripley may be, if she's not my favorite wrestler today, She's in the top three. Not favorite female wrestler, favorite wrestler. Yeah. I love watching her. The way she takes a DDT. <laughs> like, it's not just, it's not not just the way she, like, gets almost, like, so she lands on top of her head and falls. She also rolls her eyes. She also sells with her face. Everything she does, her whole body's in it. In a way that an athlete, like, she, she's an athlete. And a lot of people just look like they're going through routines in wrestling. A lot of people... They want to get in there and do what other people do. This is a pro wrestler. Rhea Ripley is on top of her game, and she is just so good and so young and so good. So when I say all those things about AEW, that AEW probably shouldn't even have a women's division, it's not that there isn't good women's wrestling out there. Rhea Ripley's as good as it gets, and I love the opening match, and I can't wait for you to honestly watch it. All but, right. But that's the problem. The bad... People doing it outnumber the good people doing the it. The bad actors out there. But Rhea Ripley is just exceptional as a professional wrestler. And Zelina Vega did great here. And it was an emotional match. And tremendous. And the crowd is still as up as they were for the opening match. Well, here's what I think might have worn them out a bit. Um, I have conflicting emotions on the street fight between Damian Priest and our friend Bugs Bunny. Bad and, Bunny, major yeah, celebrity known yeah. throughout the world, major, yeah. major star. I had never heard of him before he showed up on this television program a couple years ago or, or less. I have conflicting emotions because this was, 
not only is Bunny taking the business seriously and being respectful of it, and he's trying his hardest, and he's taking risks he doesn't need to take, and, and we've heard rave reviews about him as a person with how he's treating the business. That is not the issue I have. I don't dislike his music because I'm still pretty sure that I've never heard a fucking lick of it yet. It's not that. And in the special mixed tag team match that he had where he and Priest were partners, as I said, I can buy that. wasn't mixed? <laughs> mixed, yes. <laughs> a wrestler and a non-wrestler, civilian. What I'm saying to you. Um, all right, you're the Mr. Three People and a Woman. So don't... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there are three people and a woman over there. Anyway, my emotion is, and this was laid out well also, and it was specifically the thing that the people from Puerto Rico came to see. It was island-centric with all the guest stars that we'll talk about and the involvement. And it was laid out when it tore the house down. But I guess at the root of it, this guy is a musician, a musician who is giving a six foot five inch, 270 pound, whatever wrestler Canadian destroyers and taking power bombs off stages through tables and getting up and see what I'm saying. It's almost like, yeah. That's what I talk about when I talk about the the fact that it just because you can teach a trained chimpanzee to do moves doesn't mean they know why they're doing it and they shouldn't be presented as able to do it. Can a musician possibly be this tough? If so, then how tough do the wrestlers have to be? Are we putting the bar? Now what do you got to do to a wrestler? If the fans can say, well, fuck, that goddamn... Bunny, he got thrown off that stage through that table, and he was back up and won the match. Well, then the wrestler has to be thrown through the table off the roof. It, it just, this is the problem that this is where we work ourselves into corners, in my opinion, when just because somebody can do something doesn't mean that they should for the overall presentation of everybody. Has that point been registered? It is, and I don't think you're wrong in principle and in general. With that said, if you're going to do it... This was about as good as you could do it. And this guy takes it seriously. He's not out there doing silly stuff. He's not treating the business with disrespect. It's funny, every guy that WWE brings in that's a celebrity, they treat it with respect. Almost more than the wrestlers, even. Yeah, well, and you have to figure that before we see the celebrity they've already felt out as to whether that's going to be the case or not there may have been some they vetoed because they didn't get that vibe off of them but but anyway the and they worked this match whoever laid it out i do not know who the producer was hopefully a lot of this was priest i think he has pretty good ideas because he seemed like especially at the start even when Bunny was on some type of offense or had scored something. Priest was still kind of scoffing at him and, you know, toying with him a bit and not taking him seriously. And then as it went on, he took him more seriously because they created believable happenings to where Priest's leg would get hurt. So that's a handicap for him. And and that uh, the Bunny was always fighting from underneath or needed 
some type of equalizer as far as one of the weapons because he brought down the new jack shopping cart full of everything in the world axe handles and chairs and cans and whatever but they structured it well is what i'm and they didn't overuse the weapons they didn't it, it wasn't like 17 shots with a kendo stick and just wear the guy out with it. It was, if somebody grabbed the stick, they got a shot or two, and then somehow it was fumbled in a natural progression, and they go on to other things. So, And of course the non-wrestler would need the weapons. Well, yes. And that was one thing that in some case, I'm not saying that he was out there picking Priest up and giving him multiple suplexes i'm saying it, it, i think it was a bit much the abuse that he bunny persevered through to still be able to come back and win and be conscious but but the the musician did need to use chairs or sticks at various points and you know again it it was a garbage match because it was a street fight but it was more of an old-fashioned garbage match in that the weapons were used to hit each other. They didn't build, you know, uh, chair and table ensembles or structures up to throw each other through them and spend half the time milking that. It was a fight, and they used weapons. So it was better. And again, the bunny, my babe bunny there, this was a better garbage wrestling match than most AEW garbage wrestling matches involving long-term professionals and the crowd they, actually reacted to it yeah because they had time to because they weren't just doing crazy shit for no reason um but anyway yeah and it was the falcon arrow that uh off the equipment case through the table that was what bunny and priest did mostly carry him back to the ring but still so getting into the the go-home part of it, Priest, as I said, has something to sell because his leg has been injured and wrapped around the ring post. And then here comes Balor, finally, and Dominic. And this is where they just jump in the ring and attack Bunny right in front of the referee and everybody. I know it's street fight, no DQ. But then here comes Ray, and he hits the ring. It has a flurry, but they stop him, too, because of the numbers. And then suddenly... Here comes Carlito, Carlito Colon, Carlos's son. Big pop. Huge pop. And because they could recognize his hair also. You can see that coming a mile away. And he hits the ring. He always, he looks, remember the last time we saw him a couple years ago on one of the reunion shows or whatever, he looks better now physically than he did when he was actually wrestling. And he's still a young guy, right? Um, He was in. Is he even 40? He was in OVW in 2004, was it? And he was probably 20 years old then, so maybe not. Wow. But anyway, so he beat up everybody and then had took a bite out of his apple, and Ray hit the 619 on Dominic, and the heels powdered out, but Savio came out in the alleyway and blocked him off where Balor and Dominic couldn't get away because Savio had blocked him off. And then he brought out the LWO. And I wrote at that point, this is a mini series. The match has been forgotten. I guarantee you, Bunny was probably breathing, maybe Priest too. But it was, everybody was loving all this interaction with all of their heroes. But in the meantime, I don't know where the fucking people in the match were or what was happening. 
So Savio then beat up Finn and Dom, and they all all the baby faces chased all the heels that weren't in the match back to the back. And then suddenly back to the match. <laughs> and Bunny got a figure four on Priest's bad leg, which is smart. And then he got a, a two count and he got a chair and hit Priest seven times. They saved the wear out with the gimmick for last, but he wore him out with a chair seven times and basically then looked like he was going to try to either powerbomb or pile driver priest and suddenly boom and hit the Canadian destroyer, which, okay, again, that was now, my least favorite part of the whole match. The moonsault when it was Muda doing the moonsault, people were amazed and a gog. And then everybody did the moons and then Vader 400 pound man can do the moonsault. And then the girls started doing the moonsault. And then Terry Funk, the 53 year old man did the moonsault. And now everybody's like, oh, a moonsault. Eh. Well, now the Canadian Destroyer, you can do it if you're a recording star. But otherwise, in it, one, two, three, that's how he beat him. But other, I would think if you just smote, is that is smote the past tense of smited or smite? <laughs> I don't know. If you had just smote <laughs> a motherfucker with a steel chair seven times like Paul Bunyan, I don't know if you needed the Canadian Destroyer. The biggest problem I had with this whole thing, I was able to suspend my disbelief. Hot crowd. This guy's treating everything respectfully. I don't know about wearing all brown, but at least they didn't take off his shirt and show you like he doesn't have muscle tone or anything, so there's still a little mystery there. Well, no, see, he was going for all brown. He was going to have yellow boots and yellow tights and call himself a drizzling shits, but... Well, I don't know about that, but hot crowd... Good match for what it was. I had people here watching. We had some, we had a social gathering here at the house. And non-wrestling fans were asking me about the match. They said, who do you think will win? And I said, well, Priest should win because he'll be back here tomorrow. Yeah. But they're going to probably have Bunny win because this is his hometown. He's the big star. He's been working with them on a lot of things. Well, also, you know, it is Puerto Rico. Priest, if he if Priest had won, he may not be here tomorrow. He might not have got back to the ring. That seemed like a fun-loving crowd, not like the Puerto Rico of old, but there still yeah. could have been some issue if you stretch things too much. I didn't heat. like the finish, though. That was the biggest problem I had, the Canadian Destroyer. I actually didn't even think the Canadian Destroyer itself looked that impressive. We see it so often. Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Morton, everyone yeah. does it at this point. I didn't think that was the right finish there. But otherwise, can't complain. And I enjoy, up to this point and, and beyond this point, but good show. Good, good show. And, you know, it, it, the crowd does help. When you've got a hot crowd like that, it helps the performance in the ring. It helps the guys get into things and go the extra mile. And it's like the, you know, the audio version of a little Novocaine shit won't hurt till later. But also the right things were happening here because a lot of times, you know, we've seen some shitty matches, even if the crowd was wanting to be forgiving. And this was, you know, every, everything was hitting here. They were doing their part. Until we get to the six-man tag. 
Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Riddle against the Usos and Solo. Can I stop you before you get to this? Yes, you may. I had a feeling, a thought going into this match. I'm intrigued to see where they're going to go with Solo and the Usos, and Heyman wasn't even there, but that whole drama. But I'm kind of bored with the rest of this. Well, then let me ask you, because I didn't, I don't want to lead the witness if, if uh, we can use a, you know, I'm just a small town bird lawyer. I'm not sworn in. But what, well, swear yourself in. Do you swear to tell the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about this match? So help you on a copy of The Fall Guys by Marcus Griffin. Oh, uh, see, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Yes, I do. I will tell the truth. Okay. What'd you think of this six-man tag team match as a match? I wasn't into it. I didn't like it. And the uh, women who were here in the house couldn't get over the shininess of Matt Riddle's legs. They kept asking me questions if he waxed his legs. Does he? I said, I have no idea. They said, why is he dressed like that? What's? I said, I don't know. I don't know why his legs are so shiny. But these are the things that casual... So you had people over and you also had some women. Had... And they were asking... <laughs> you see? You... And they were asking why... <laughs> Yes, Sergeant McCoy was uh, carting everyone on the way yeah. in. And they were asking why Riddle waxes his legs. There was, a, well, there was a lot of time to, to look at leg waxing, I guess. And it, I just, it, this match happened. There was nothing remarkable. They, I know Sammy likes to sell and Sammy can sell, but they got heat on Sammy for a, quite a while. And then Riddle made an awkward comeback, and then they stopped him, and then Owens tagged in. But then they were trying to tell the conflict story all show long and match long that Solo may be getting fed up with the Usos and may not be humoring them as well as he might once have, and that there was going to be issues, which eventually at the end there was some some level of argument. But to do this, they... They had kind of had the match, and then they went into a long finishing sequence where there were more tags in and out by both teams. Half of the match, it seemed like at one point, was the babyface partners disappearing and hiding on the floor. The camera caught Riddle at one point while he was supposed to be selling something on the floor for like they sell like they've been hit by a fucking mail truck for minutes at a time on the floor from a body slam, and you think, well, where can they fucking be? And can't the people see him in the arena? Well, yes. The camera caught Riddle. He's down on his knees, hunched down behind, next to the guardrail in front of the people, and he's just staring up at what's going on in the ring. Obviously conscious, obviously not in distress, and could get... <clears throat> so a modern kind of match that way, you know, finally, the Usos and Solo, as I said, uh, they, one of the Usos and Solo get hot at each other, and Sammy comes from behind and throws a kick, and one moves, and he hits the other one, and hits Jay with a kick, and then Solo hit Owens with a spike, but Jay put his hand on Solo's shoulder, so Solo turned around and grabbed him, was going to spike him, but... <laughs> After he realized it was him, he just kept holding him and kept threatening to spike him. And they argued until Sammy leveled Solo, and then they did another babyface tag at that point. And 
Riddle hit his finish on Jay, but Solo came in and hit the spike on him, one, two, three. And as soon as that happened, all three of the baby faces completely disappear. After the one, two, three, they're not seen again. And the Usos and Solo stand in the ring, and the Usos try to get Solo to celebrate with them, and he doesn't look happy. And, yeah, bleh. It's that amazing. Out of every match on this show, this is the one that became an afterthought. The Bloodline match. Yes. Yeah. The, two months ago in Montreal, the fucking babies were going in the air. And now they're fucking taking their tickets back to the ticket office, see if they can get a refund. And anyway, that... Uh, it just... There wasn't... It didn't seem intriguing. The match wasn't, I think, truthfully and honestly, Owens, I know, but probably Zane as well. I think the, the, the interplay they're having with Riddle on the backstage promos and everything, I think is, is, is a shoot, is true to life. I think they do think he's a fucking knucklehead and he, they roll their eyes at him and he fucking pesters them and they probably started writing that in as part of the story. Well, women who don't watch wrestling want to know why he looks the way he does. Why does he dress? Why is he wearing that? And why are his legs so shiny? Those well, are and questions. men who do watch wrestling also want to know the very same thing. <sighs> why do he look the way, you know, a lot of people don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. It do. Well, why do he look the way he do? Which do be you be? I be, uh, uh, um, See one of the great Michael episodes. Of, one of the great episodes of what's happening right there. Michael McDonald is the doobie that I want to be. Really? Not even one of the originals. Well, no, he made all the money and and got all the pussy, and all the people know his name. Well, they made a lot of money before he was the lead singer. I mean, he definitely took him to another level. Well, but everybody knows his name. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? Do you know the name of the other lead singer, the original lead singer of the Doobie Brothers? I can't remember now. Yeah, me, that neither. I'm... <laughs> me neither. Me <laughs> Well, here, let me talk about the main event while you check on that. Anyway, Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. And this was obviously the main event of the evening and the thing that probably sold the show to most people, not in, not the local show, but around the world on, on Peacock or on pay-per-view that I couldn't order again because of Canelo Johnson Jr. What's his fucking name? Canelo Alvarez? Uh, yeah, that fella. Johnson That's why I couldn't get... The, I had to watch the Peacock. I couldn't watch the real pay-per-view because it wasn't on real TV because of Canelo Alvarez Jr. Anyway, Cody and Brock is the big, the big money match, the marquee match. That's what sold it around the world. And as soon as Brock comes out, Cody fucking jumps him and opens up. And again, this is a Puerto Rico style match. They love baby faces with fire. And he knocks Brock to the floor and he hits a dive on the outside. And now they're fighting. This is where it's called for. The main event grudge match between two of the top stars in the company. That's where you let them fight on the floor. That's where you let them jump start. That's where you let them fucking go crazy. And he hit Lesnar with the, the top of the announce desk. And then he picked the stairs up and ran him into Brock's head three times. 
and hit four chair shots over the back. See, now it probably would have looked a little even more devastating for Cody Rhodes to hit Brock four times with a chair if Bunny hadn't just hit Priest seven with his an hour ago, but nevertheless. And then finally they start, and then they ring the bell to start the match. And I'm not going to criticize it here because why would any referee have sympathy for Brock Lesnar? But boom, they they kicked it off. And Brock has mastered the art of selling like a monster. He doesn't sell like Ricky Morton. He doesn't sell like Ricky Steamboat. He sells exactly like what he should sell like, what you would yeah. expect from this you know, unstoppable, physical, fucking dominant beast. A monster in pain. Yes. You know, the fucking, the thorns in his fucking paw. That kind of thing. You know, Godzilla, after he was flamethrowed by Mothra or whichever, whatever the fuck. No, Mothra didn't have flames. Who had flames? Which one of them had the flames? Uh, King Ghidra had flames. Ghidra. Uh... Yes. Nevertheless. Nobody set each other on fire here, so that was another plus. But it, it, Cody opened up hot and showed the people he had enough fire as a baby face that they like. We've talked about And then he goes for a cutter, and Brock catches him with a German. And Cody fights back and manages a crossbody off the top, but Brock catches him again, and he's just catching him without any bend in the knees or sag in the arms. And Cody's coming off the top rope, and he weighs 225 easily, right? So, Brock is just, again, German now, German suplexing him to death, but methodically, good heat. And Cody selling, as the big cat used to say, like it was going to the electric chair. And Brock with multiple different kinds of suplexes. And finally, as Brock is going to German him again, Cody's trying to hold on to something and grabs the turnbuckle pad and pulls the turnbuckle pad off one of the top turnbuckles and then gets Germaned and threw it out of the ring. So now Brock sees that metal turnbuckle exposed and he puts Cody in the corner and he charges and Cody steps out and drop toe holes him <laughs> and Brock goes face first into the exposed turnbuckle. I'm pretty sure it was a hard way. And I'm pretty sure he meant to do it. And I'm pretty sure we saw the moment the cut opened and the blood came out. Well, yeah, and the only thing was, it, I saw it, yes. And I'm, Brock wearing those MMA gloves, he couldn't handle the fine, fine, intricate stylings of a blade that quickly. And it, you saw pretty quick that there was blood on his head as soon as he whacked that thing. But I think he did it on purpose. I'm thinking he'd get some kind of blood. Not as good as it was. It was fucking fantastic. But I got to think he did it on... Because that... You know the buckle is exposed. So one would think if you weren't trying and you're a, as good a worker as he is, you could figure out a way to fucking avoid it. But nevertheless, it made the fucking match from here because now the beast is wounded. And the people in Puerto Rico, as we know, love blood in wrestling. And Cody makes a big comeback on the cut. And it's smearing all over him and his fists. And 
boom, boom, boom. You know, as he's doing all this shit now and Brock is bleeding like a stuck hog and he hits the Cody cutter and then he hits the crossroads and then it holds on for a second one, two crossroads, which nobody, nobody's kicked out of one yet. Have they did reigns at WrestleMania? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Well, Brock kicks out of two. So that was the concession to this. We need to make Brock stronger than everyone else. And then Brock foiled another crossroads and hit the F5. Boom, which I can't remember anybody kicking out of lately. It certainly doesn't happen often. And got a two count on Cody. So this is built up perfect. And now it's not too much but it's enough. And now they get the fight on their knees and the juice is great on Brock's all over Brock's face. And you, it's flying out and Brock gets him in a double wrist lock, a Kimura as the kids call it and starts cranking it up. And Cody just kind of rolls up a little bit further with the pressure, but top spreads Brock one, two, three. I was like, well, son of a bitch. It was sudden. It was the right result. It was very sudden and, and somewhat abrupt. But the match was good, and the, the blood was a uh, fortuitous addition, however it happened. And Cody Rhodes beat Brock Lesnar, which was the only thing they could have done. But he didn't beat him convincingly, because you never know when you might need Brock again with the way things are going. Your thoughts. And even Brock. I mean, if he's going to lose, he lost that Lashley match, the nut shot. You know, he'll lose, but yeah. it's not going to be just wiped out in the middle of the ring. You pin him and he doesn't move for five minutes. Really good match. Cody's killing it. Brock was great. I got a little uncomfortable when he hit the post because the camera was right in front of him and you you literally just see the cut open up and the blood start coming out. So you know it's... Not a blade job. You know he legitimately got cut. Yeah. I have to think like you. He knew he would get something from that. He ran headfirst right into it. Got a little uncomfortable for a bit there when the referee didn't put on his gloves right away. I I, I noticed that too. Do you think <laughs> he, he got caught up in watching what was going on and forgot? <laughs> I don't know, but I was waiting for that as like, the uh-oh, this has gone a little too far. Eventually he did it, but... Well, now, how long have they been doing that? Because, I mean, that was never a thing in wrestling. A guy starts bleeding, the referee right. puts gloves on. They got that from UFC, I guess, right? And how long have they been doing it over there? So it's, it's not ingrained in everybody's mind. Right, but I was waiting for it because now they also have a headpiece of so someone saying what's going on and he has to <laughs> try to figure it out. And it's Brock, so you're not going to stop that match more than likely because he'll kill you. Oh, yeah, the way he was bleeding, they should have put a full body condom on the referee if they were <laughs> going to do anything, though. But, yeah, can you imagine the response if they had, in, in front of that crowd, in that match, at that point in time, if they had tried to derail their momentum by getting the doctor to say, well, no, stop, and he's going to check. Bro Brock would have eaten the doctor. And then when Cody Brock's blood all over him, and it looked like he was getting ready to finish him, and Brock all of a sudden spun out, and he's alive again. The monster's back. <laughs> it's just, it's great. Brock's matches, going back several, I can't remember the last Brock match that was a stinker, but his big matches are usually really put together in a smart way, and I enjoy them. And Cody's been doing great. And they ought to have a t-shirt of Brock as 
Jason Voorhees coming up or over the side of the boat or whatever. Yes, when do you think he's down? I will say one thing, a little disappointment, because they showed that video again like they did on SmackDown of everything that led up to this match. The idea of Cody with country bumpkin fun-loving Brock Lesnar <laughs> as his sidekick who can't challenge for the world title, there was something there. I wish we could have seen a little bit of that for a few weeks. But you know what? What's stopping him from challenging for this new world title? Who, Brock? Yeah. Very good point. I mean, everyone's assuming Cody will get the belt. Obviously, people are now thinking Roman may be in the mix because SmackDown could have people, and Heyman made a comment. People are pointing to Seth Rollins. No one's even talked about Lesnar. Lesnar technically could do it on both shows. He's a free agent. Well, yeah, but... Okay, I, I bet they're going to get Brock to wrestle in a three-way and then a, a <laughs> finals on the pay-per-view and then defend that. Yeah, maybe not. But but that's the point. That's another loophole in their logic. He can't challenge Roman for the belts that Roman has, but he could challenge for this new one because it wasn't mentioned in the stipulation. Oh, well. Well, we shall see. And, you know, the other thing I will say about the championships, you know, Rhea won the title at WrestleMania. Bianca, I didn't even realize until they said it here, she's held the belt over a year now. You have to think they've been building to something down the road with those two. I wonder if they will eventually unify the women's championship. Just because it would be, the, the, well, be yeah. the best way to utilize all these women that are there, the good ones, just keep them in one division on one, you know, they can cross both shows. Why in the world wouldn't they at least unify if they have to have two singles champions? Why couldn't they unify the women's title and, and, and maybe even the tag team titles. Does there has to be two of everything? And then there's well, even the tag two... titles are unified. Well, but for how long? Good point. Are, are they going to, are they going to, is that just when the Usos have them and when they drive, whatever the fuck they've just, now they've got three, technically three world titles. So the point is they started having, Two world titles, two tag titles, two women's titles, and two secondary titles, Intercontinental on one and U.S. on the other. So they unified the singles and the tag titles. Now they're making another world title. It's so confusing. Why can't they just unify everything but the, the top singles title and maybe have a Every year or two, a Super Bowl best of seven series between the two champions just for the fuck of it. I don't know. Well, or you know what we could do? Well, before we end, that was Backlash. Good show. You will commit to watching with a fair mindset and a good mood the Bianca Belair EO yeah. Sky match. Yes. With the volume on. With the volume on, okay. and it's on the peacock. So I, and it's right at the front of the show, so I know where it is. Okay. So I, I I haven't deleted it or anything. I will watch that between now and, and your program this week, the drive through All right. We'll try to get that up early for people on uh, YouTube who want to hear the full show review. And uh, that's that. This is your show. Mr. Mute. I found my button. <laughs> Don't make me call Sergeant McCoy on you. All right, folks. We've oh. talked a lot about various wrestling and... Now we're going to leave you alone so you can go in peace. If you have no further questions, you're free to go. Join us on the drive-thru with Brian and back here next week on the experience with Brian and me. And until then, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Well.
Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Says I'm in the key demo. I 